It's August 12th. A good Thursday morning to you, Ryan Jesperson. Here it is Real Talk, presented by our friends at Bitcoin Well. You know by now that they're the only publicly traded Bitcoin ATM company in the world. They're the first. There may be others that come. I don't know. But Bitcoin Well is the one that is blazing the trail. It was a huge day for them a couple of Fridays ago. A shout out to them from our team as they continue to make it easier and easier to understand and access cryptocurrency, in particular, Bitcoin. You can find more about what they're doing under the Sponsors tab at RyanJesperson.com. Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. Busy show in store in a few minutes. We'll call it between 5 and 10 from now. Alberta's former Chief Medical Officer of Health, Dr. James Talbot, will join us again. He was on the show back in April, you'll remember. Uh, we were we were picking his brain on the role of a chief medical officer of health, what the job entails and and how you can tell if a CMOH, as they say, is doing a good job, whether or not they're they're representing their mandate properly, whether or not they should be, you know, keeping their job. And you'll remember, Dr. Talbot came at us with with reason. And he said, based on my experience, here's what you need to consider. He didn't get caught up in the emotion. He didn't ca- get caught up in the fervor around people calling for the resignation of Dr. Dina Hinshaw. This was back in April when there were there were cases rising in in unknown communities across the province of Alberta, communities that were known to the chief medical officer of health, of course, uh, communities and, and a scenario that was well known, of course, to the provincial government and the Ministry of Health, but not to the general public. And people were upset. People were saying that that the government was maybe acting to protect a corporation or or maybe profits were coming ahead of people. A lot of people were really ticked off. And Dr. Talbot came on and he chatted with us. We're going to actually replay a little bit of that interview for you in just a second. Well, the interesting development here is that as Alberta has taken steps uh, outpacing, you might say, leading, some might say, the rest of the country in the exit out of COVID-19 restrictions, protocols you're seeing mass protests members of the public daily in cities like calgary and edmonton and red deer protesting at the legislature at the mcdougall center at houses of influence i know a ton of parents are really concerned about what's coming up in september a lot of you are having to make decisions right now to your schools or to your school boards about whether or not your kids are going to be in the classroom or whether or not they'll be learning from home. And, and, and you're looking around and none of the kids are vaccinated and you're seeing that there were 500 new cases yesterday and you're going, hang on a second. There were more new cases yesterday than, than this time last year. This doesn't make sense. What are, now, we're not here to fan the flames and to try to get everybody all worried more than they need to be. But I think it's safe to suggest that there are big questions around whether or not Dr. Dina Hinshaw is, is doing her job properly. Now, now people will come at me as they have on social media for the past number of days and said, oh, a fired radio host is masquerading as an immunologist. A talk host must know more than the chief medical officer of health. I'm just calling them how I see them. I'm looking around the room and I'm seeing that there are a lot of people that have very real questions about who's making the decisions at the Alberta legislature and why those decisions are being made. 
Now, there's some discussion around that, you know, the idea that Dr. Dina Hinshaw is 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 leading a charge that we will soon see from other provinces and territories, that there's science behind the decisions to stop contact tracing and, and, to, and to stop requiring isolation for people who have positive covid tests and to stop tracking cases and announcing those numbers to the general public. Other people, I don't think, are so sure. And so I'm grateful that Dr. Talbot's agreed to join us if I know him. And I've interviewed him several times. I know that he's going to tell us what he thinks. I'll warn you that he's probably going to keep it classy, too, which I know will be somewhat disappointing for people that are expecting him to walk in and pull the pin and just throw a hand grenade right out of the gates. I don't think that's going to happen. But Dr. Talbot did sign his name to a letter to the prime minister. It's, it's the one that we chatted about just the other day, an open letter that an urgent appeal for direct Alberta school board funding to mitigate risks of the Delta variant. And we talked yesterday to a University of Calgary political scientist, Dr. Lisa Young. She and I both kind of snickered at the letter because it's it's a powerful piece of politicking in the sense that the members of the general public can see that reputable physicians like Taysin Latta and, and Joe Vipond and others have signed their name. Hakik Varani, a well-known uh, public health uh, practitioner and associate clinical professor out of Edmonton, Dr. Talbot, former chief medical officer of health, Carla Peck, Dr. Peck. She's been on the show before a professor. You remember her? Her big thing is curriculum. She's been keeping an eye on that and combing through these curriculum drafts with a fine tooth comb, making them understandable and accessible to members of the general public like you and me. There's some supercharged names on the list. In other words, with some of these names comes scrutiny and, and, and also a bit of a heavy hitting type potential. Some union leaders like Gil McGowan from the Alberta Federation of Labor and Heather Smith from the United Nurses of Alberta and Guy Smith from AUPE, the Alberta Union of Provincial Employees. The QP rep is on there as well. And there's a whole bunch. Mike Parker who's the president of the Health Sciences Association of Alberta. These are these are folks in formidable roles. When we saw Dr. Talbot's name on the list, I went, I wonder if he's changed his tune a little bit. Now, the letter doesn't call for the chief medical officer of health to resign or anything like that. In fact, it's, it's asking the prime minister to essentially swoop in and kind of take over or at least direct or dictate where the funding for education is going to go. People are saying, given the track record of the Alberta government in, in failing to pass along federal funding, leaving hundreds of millions of dollars on the table. We implore the feds to directly fund Alberta school boards to help make classrooms safer. I'm curious to ask Dr. Talbot why he wanted to get into the mix on this one and what it implies. Of course, this is never going to happen. I mean, unless Prime Minister Justin Trudeau wants to absolutely unequivocally declare war which perhaps he would want to do, but I suspect that he has other battles on other fronts that he wants to fight. I'm looking forward to the conversation with Dr. Talbot. Coming up a little bit later on in the show, we're going to find out why Métis settlements in Alberta are suing the government. What's this lawsuit all about? A release that states, quote, a settler government is imposing its views on indigenous peoples. That doesn't sound like reconciliation. Sounds a little tone deaf for the times. We'll talk to Herb Lair from the Métis Settlements General Council. And then a little later on in the program, you've probably, I mean, if you're paying attention to international news, 
if you say the two Michaels anywhere in Canada, everybody pretty much knows what you're talking about, right? Covering and Spavor, they've been detained in China. This is all part of that Meng Wanzhou controversy, the Huawei executive that the Canadian authorities detained on behalf of the Americans. The Americans keeping their hands clean through all of this, but it's had big consequences for Canada, or at least for these two gentlemen. We've also got a third Canadian, Robert Schellenberg. Everybody's talking about him because a, a conviction on a, on a drug trafficking sentence means that his death sentence, his appeal to that has been denied. He appealed a sentence for incarceration, was subsequently sentenced to death, and, and now that's been upheld. We'll talk to Gordon Holden, who's the director emeritus of the China Institute at the University of Alberta. That's coming up in, we'll call it about an hour from now. Find out what's going on here. A lot of people are being pretty critical of the federal government right now saying, what are you going to do about this? I saw some people yesterday calling for sanctions. They want to see Canada sanction China. And I know some of you will scoff and say, really? It's like the it's like the ant sanctioning the elephant. I don't know about that. Others of you are going to say, what? So we just sit and take it. So we just let China bully us around, let China kick us in the teeth and get away with it. We'll find out from Gordon Holden what he thinks is the appropriate response here from Canada. What can Canada control and what role, if any, should the United States play in all of this based on that Huawei executive and that whole dust up that essentially hurt the American ally, Canada, more than anybody. And then in about an hour and a half from now, a Hall of Famer, an officer of the Order of Canada, an eight-time Juno Award winner, Tom Cochran, will join us live on the show, Sarah Hoyles. Tom Cochran. Tom Cochran. He of Mad Mad World. He of Life is a Highway. I've seen already some real talkers on Twitter when you made the announcement. They're already starting to submit their votes for, uh, not technically, I guess we could put up a poll on, on the greatest Tom Cochran tune of all time. Maybe you could do That's that. Toughy. You okay. know, in your spare time. But I've, <laughs> but I've seen... Uh, some real talkers uh, chiming in and, and talking about, you know, some, you know, some of the, the, the favorite Tom Cochran moments, Tom Cochran tunes for a lot of Canadians. He's he's been a huge part of of their own musical journey. I mean, the guy's been playing music for like 40 years. Pretty unbelievable. I mean, I off the air, you and I had talked about, you know, legendary Canadian musicians and I was like you know you've got Gord Downey the Traj and you've got yeah you've got Tom Cochran right up there yeah I mean, you just he would be you wonder if he might be on the Mount Rushmore of of Canadian rock legends I realize I'm opening up a huge yeah, canyon I wouldn't put it on a you mountain. know what we should do is we should ask him who would be on the Mount Rushmore of Canadian rock Ooh. musicians Sam, I can tell you're deep in thought. I mean, this is putting you on the spot. On the spot. I, I, you're like Brian Adams. Are we going by four? Are we going? Yeah, Mount Rushmore. That's the okay. challenge. You only get four. Celine? Celine? No, but here's what I'm saying. Canadian rock legends. So Celine okay. Dion's out. Mm. Uh, come on. She can rock. Oh, come on, Hoyles. <laughs> Celine Dion. No disrespect to Celine Dion. She's made like, you know, $30 billion or whatever she's done. She's she's. Celine's awesome. She's not a Canadian rock legend. Brian Adams has to be on just based on album sales prominence, doesn't he? Gord Downey has to be on because the entire country mourned his passing, indicating how Canada feels about him. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna submit Neil Young. Yes, uh, and and uh, what about Burton I, Cummings? Burton, uh, maybe Burton Cummings. I'm thinking Katie Lang. Oh, mm. on the rock. 
I don't maybe know. Maybe rock. What about Nickelback? I'm just joking. Oh, oh no, maybe you shouldn't be. No, like, but actually, though, uh, like, they're and, not legit. I'm gonna. I'm, oh, oil! Come on, come on. The, the sales don't. I mean, numbers don't lie, right? Not numbers. Legit. Well, how, how can they? They're not legit because you don't prefer them. Is that why they're not legit? Tom Cochran's like, I'm not walking into this conversation. You guys <laughs> he just ripping, We're just ripping people. Just ripping. But Nickelback might have to. I mean, there's so. There's. What are we gonna do here? Because you know we haven't even mentioned. What about all the band? You know, like. Well, there's kind of like the secondary. What's, well, what what's I was the gonna, one? What's the tourist stand before Mount Rushmore? We could talk about who would be there. Like I was like, what about fifty four forty? But now I'm starting to get into the oh, kind of. Oh yeah. You know what I mean? We're getting out, we're getting out of Rushmore girl. territory. Yeah. Here. The other the other name I was gonna put forward, and, and I mean this just fits me right in the feels because this is a personal favorite, Alanis Morissette. Oh, uh, you know what? Absolutely. Absolutely. Jagged Little Pill might be one of my all time favorites. Someone put Rush. Haas oh, just suggested yeah, Rush. Getty Lee. I mean, I'm not a fan. Because they're very divisive, but uh, what do you mean they're very divisive? You mean their style of music? Yeah, a lot not, of people not, are like, okay, got it. Yeah, don't, that's don't like them sometimes. See, okay, and if we're picking individuals, I wouldn't say Getty Lee. I'd say Neil Peart or Neil Ooh. Peart. Pardon me. me yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. A B is wondering why do people hate on Nickelback? I don't get it. Uh, others are saying Big Sugar. Like, here's the thing: with respect to bands like Big Sugar, love Big Sugar. I've had an opportunity to to hang out and crack a couple cold ones with Big Sugar, but but not on the not on the Mount Rushmore of Canadian I think rock they're, musicians. They're the ones that are in the like before the Rushmore, right? Yeah. Uh, Nick is saying this needs to be a Twitter poll. I think you're right. The only thing, the lousy part about the Twitter polls is that they only give us four options. I'd love to put 15 bands or 15. You know, front persons, 15 performers on there and say who would be your top four. And then we could just let the Internet decide, which would be great. Uh, Patrick is saying the band Robbie Robertson easily had the biggest influence on rock, uh, a bigger influence than any other. Uh, yeah. Blind Melon chiming in saying, how do you not? How do you have a Mount Rushmore without Rush? Uh, fair enough. They put the Rush in. Someone's saying the Philosopher Kings. Are they Canadian? Yes, they are. <laughs> I didn't know the Philosopher Kings were Canadian. Should I? Are they? Are they now am I, I'm having like a return. To, are they from Winnipeg maybe? Or am I thinking of someone else? <laughs> I'd have to look it up. Who knows? Here's the thing. If you don't know whether or not they're Canadian, they're not on the Mount Rushmore. So uh, Mark B in SLC, beautiful Salt Lake City, Utah. He says he says and, and people are saying the hip people are naming bands. You can't name bands. That's the rule now well, You're making the, the rule Mount, It's the Mount Rushmore So you can't have like Five busts over here And then six busts So you're like You're like We got the hip over here And we've got you, know, you can't do that You have to pick the musician This is the thing We're not talking about Red Rider We're talking about Con Tom Cochran Right So I'm thinking You've got Alanis Morissette Gord Downey We're gonna say Tom Cochran Because he's on the show And because Eight Junos 40 years Officer of the Order of Canada That's another thing too Right like album sales is one thing. Endearing yourself to Canadians, being part of Canadian culture is another. When your music is a soundtrack of a lot of people's summers or a lot of people's special memories, Cochrane's got him there. But then when you're when when, when the governor general has pinned you and, and has appointed you, you've been named an officer of the Order of Canada. That's a whole other level. So he's got to be right up there on that. Tim with a vote for Alan Doyle, who is just a delightful beauty. Uh, I'm going to I'm going to say that, you know, I I mean, Chad Kroger from Nickelback may belong on the Mount Rushmore. See, and this is where I'm going to differ. And I'm going to say if we got to fill that last slot, it's got to be Neil Young. Well, yeah. How do you leave Neil Young off? 
Oh, my. I mean, this exercise is just proving to be a fool's errand. I think what we've established is that the, the list of all time <laughs> legendary Canadian rockers is for, is is formidable. I I've used the word it... formidable twice in 15 minutes. I better pick up a thesaurus. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I think needs to happen today. I just I think it just shows just how deep the bench is when we look at like the roster of yeah. amazing Canadian rock and rollers. Yeah. Yeah, uh, James says if 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 Rush is not in the poll, then they're going to riot. <laughs> Linda Ray is calling for April Wine. See, here's the thing. Now I think we're getting into with April Wine. I'm thinking this is these are great summer rock festival bands, but we're getting outside of the conversation on the Mount Rushmore. The Mount Rushmore has got to be the definitive top. These are the pillars of Canadian rock history. A vote for Chilliwack. Bare Naked Ladies. Did I even finish? I didn't even finish reading Mark B and SLC's comment. He's like, you dropped my name. You didn't even say what I had to say. But the hip. I jumped in when he said the hip. And I remind. So we so we'll say Gord Downey with respect to the rest of the band. So he'd go for Gord Downey, Brian Adams. And then he's got Bare Naked Ladies. So I don't know who you go with there. Maybe Stephen Page, even though I know he's kind of on the outs with the band. And uh, and and Stephen Page is not on the Mount Rushmore of Canadian rock, but the Bare Naked Ladies are a legendary band for sure. And then Rush, I don't know who you go with there. There might be some. I think you got to go Getty Lee. I mean, he's kind of the face of the band, isn't he? Really? I mean, the front. He, he's he's the front. And a voice. When I you mean, think of yeah, but Rush is Rush has its own. It's like it, it's like talking to Star Trek fans, or or deadheads or vegans. You know, there's just like a whole other. It's like they're talking a whole other language. Went to a rush show once, had a great time, but I was like, I I don't really know what's going. I'm not I'm not on this level of fandom. You know what I'm saying? See, and I've seen Rush too, and I'm I'm not I'm not a huge Rush fan, but like my whole takeaway from the Rush show is just like there's only three of them. There's so much going on, and there's only three guys on stage. There's a lot going on. There's a lot going on. Yeah, it's it's it's. I'm not comparing the style of music at all. But with regards to uh, another great word here, the cacophony that that you can experience at a rush show, it's kind of like being at a Dave Matthews show or like a fish show where there's yeah, just a lot that. of stuff going yeah. on, a lot of stuff going on. And then viewers, audience members like like Cindy are chiming in and, you know, white hot and lunatic fringe. Some great references here. I'm seeing more more references for Randy Bachman. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot. There's a lot. All right, you can keep the votes coming. We're looking forward to that. Just a reminder: why were Rain Maida a vote for Rain Maida? Hey, Our Lady Peace. Yeah, yeah. And he and his and his his beautiful Chantal partner in life, mm-hmm. Chantal Kreviasek. If you actually look and do like a really deep dive, and I appreciate this from Troy as well, who's wondering where do the sheepdogs fit? As far as I'm concerned, sheepdogs should be on the Mount Rushmore of Canadian rock, but I don't know if they're there yet. First, first unsigned or independent band ever to be on the cover of Rolling Stone. That's a thing. That was just that anniversary, 10 year anniversary just passed, which was pretty cool. Eh. But uh, eh. uh, Alex, uh, just if, hey, first name only. And if you can do first name only like Alex, Alex has done here. I mean, it kind of speaks for itself. He says, Neil, Joni. I, like, but you almost need to do like a folk. If you were going to do like a folk or folk roots Mount Rushmore, that's where then you could be taught. Because I've seen some votes for Jan Arden in here. 
uh, obviously, you know, there's there's some great Canadian crooners. See, we're that, seeing Gordon Lightfoot come up a lot. A that lot would go in Gordon the folks Lightfoot. route. Yeah. So Alex goes Neil, Joni, Gord, and Leonard. He did say Leonard Cohen, but I'm going to cut it off. You know, Brenda voting for Corey Hart. Maybe we should just be. Maybe we should just do this for the next hour and a half. This is actually a lot of fun. This feels sound like our New Year's Eve morning show. You remember that where we that just hung out and day. Oh, we yeah. hung out, got a little bit tipsy and just interacted with our Patreon supporters. That was a lot of fun. But the point I was going to make is Rain made a Chantel Creviasic. I was talking to somebody, I don't know, six months ago or something that knows them personally. They're like their musical careers are accomplished and they've done a lot of really cool stuff. They're like, but until you talk to them and realize how many projects they've influenced or had their hands in, you really have no idea. There's so many musicians doing so many things behind the scenes to lift up other musicians as well. Pretty interesting. Uh, yeah, and now votes continue to come in. I don't know if some of you are trolling us now. Although Daniel makes a great point in arguing for the sheepdogs to be included in the conversation. He says the sheepdogs can curl. How many bands do that? Probably more than we think, actually. Yeah, true story. Yeah. I'm like, I guarantee the hip can definitely curl. <laughs> is this true? Is Our Lady, is this from Matt? Is this true? Is Our Lady Pieces, Our Lady Peace has a new single? Is this true? Is it called yeah. Stop Making Stupid People Famous? Is that really, that? With, with respect to Ayla Brooke and the Soundmen, this might have to be our new theme song. We'll find out. You can let us know. And, and then, of course, we haven't even look at this. Brenda reminding us we're 10 minutes into this conversation. Nobody's even mentioned Blue Rodeo to this point. No, but but rock. We've been talking about rock legends. Like, it's sort of the same argument that we've been making for more. Of they're in that the, like folk. They're like that alt country area. folk roots sort of area. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I mean, Blue Rodeo, Five Days in July is like my summer childhood. It's one of in the, the greatest albums of all it time. Is. I know. Uh, fact check. Stop Making Stupid People Famous features Pussy Riot, which is the amazing Russian band. Yeah, they were the ones that got all caught, arrested and... Yeah, by Putin. Yeah, big time. And it's, yeah, it's brand new with Our Lady Peace featuring Pussy Riot, released 2021. Wow. Okay, I, I have not heard it. That. need to listen to it. Troy pointing out that the hip curled in the film Men With Brooms. Right, yeah. I feel like this is a day... This is not cool for me to say this because I we don't intend to actually do it. Um, but this would be a day where we should be doling out real talk mugs our ceramic diner mugs to everybody making great points this morning. That's why the real talk tailgate party is going to be so much fun when it actually happens. You get a mug and you get a mug and you get a mug. It's going to be a great time. I'm starting to see as see as soon as a band gets mentioned, then more and more people start chiming in. You know, Kim Mitchell, Greg is demanding some respect for for he of or is everyone going to roll their eyes if I say patio lanterns? I bet you like the real Kim Mitchell fans are probably like, dude, that's, you know, some musicians like Bobby McFerrin, for example, with Don't Worry, Be Happy. People are like, you realize that Bobby McFerrin's like a phenomenal jazz musician and uh, he did more than Don't Worry, Be Happy. But he's known for that one song. I wonder if Kim Mitchell was uh Kaylin is watching in from Vancouver says as a Gen Z most of this is way over my head but Blue Rodeo is a big part of her childhood Marie coming in late for a vote for Colin James a vote for Avril Lavigne Patrick with Trooper you can probably tell that we're waiting right now on Dr. James Talbot Fred and he's Penner. not yet here yet Fred Penner would be on the Fred Penner would be on the Mount Rushmore of, of Canadian good guys and Rafi 
Yeah. Rafi's got some sort of political activism. Oh, I mean, yeah. If you follow Rafi on Twitter now, he, he doesn't mess around. Yeah. I'm like, I had to check it at first. When I first was on social media, I'm like, is this the same Rafi? This is the same guy? Just making sure. All right, we got a lot that we're going to be paying attention to, keeping an eye on uh, this from Tracy, who says, can can we now all agree uh, that as you've been listing off so many names here that Canada has some pretty awesome music, some pretty great musicians? I agree. Isn't that the truth? I love this from Shirley, who says, let's designate one mountain in the Rockies. The Rockies. I see what you did there, Shirley. She says we could just rename it every few years. Mount Young, Mount Cohen, Mount Trooper. I'd go party. I'd go hike and party on Mount Trooper. Do you think the vibe of the mountain would change every time it's renamed? It probably would. Yeah. Like if in Mount Cohen, you're why well, people would be sort of like, Hallelujah. You, it's you'd, a you'd go, you'd go sit under a tree and, yeah. and you know, you're hiking up and the, the eagle is soaring overhead. Hallelujah. And then all you know, and then and then I can hear everyone can hear that opening guitar from Patio Lanterns. Dun, 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 dun. You know, when it's Mount Mitchell. I think the thing about renaming it every few years is that the general public perceives the renaming to be a stripping of honor. Unless it's very clear that the mount was going to be renamed the entire time anyway. You know what I mean? What, what if they did it like like a like a sports trophy, like the Stanley Cup, where they just they mm. add a name to it every year. And so, you know, for this year, it is this year it is Mount Do you Young, know what this but like you can like? see the history of all the names behind it. These are the types of conversations that happen about eight beers in, <laughs> and we're having it live right now at 8.55 a.m. Mountain Time on this Thursday, August 12th. Dead Mouse? Dead Mouse is not Canadian. Are you guys messing with me? No, Dead Mouse is very Canadian. Are you serious? Oh, yeah. Dead Mouse is Canadian? One of my best friends is signed to his label and performs oh, with him all the time. Wow. Dead Mouse is How Canadian. How come people haven't said Biff Naked then? Yeah. Biff Naked is, is super cool in real life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Biff Naked is a super, super cool human. Nick says it sounds like very important work is being done here. <laughs> I'll tell you this. You find me another talk show that has the guts to talk about this on a Thursday morning. You won't find one. Uh, Dr. James Talbot, we're hoping will be able to join us. If not now, maybe he can join us tomorrow. We'll see how that goes. This is probably a pretty great opportunity for me to remind you what's going on right now with the Edmonton Symphony Orchestra. This is super exciting. If you want to follow along, just go to windspearcenter.com. You're going to find there how you can pick up your tickets to check out the return This is super exciting. Symphony Under the Sky is back in Edmonton's Horlack Park. Bar none. Without a doubt. This is one of the coolest things that you can do in Alberta's capital city in the summer months. Imagine performances suitable for all audiences. Date night, anniversary, time with friends, taking the kids out. Why not? Classical gems, Hollywood hits. They've got two programs, amazing Hollywood hits, festival favorites, 
What a great introduction to symphony for somebody you know would love classical music that loves getting outside. And what a great return to check out the ESO. This is the Edmonton Symphony Orchestra's full, I mean, this is their return to full performance. This is a huge deal. They haven't done so since March of 2020. They've been waiting a year and a half. And now your opportunity to check it out August 26th through September 5th. All the information you need at windspearcenter.com. It's Symphony Under the Sky at William Horlack Park. We also wanted to give a shout out to a viewer who chimed in right now. We got an email this morning from Karen. And Karen says uh, she, she's living in the southern part of Alberta. She lives beautiful Lethbridge. Shout out to Lethbridge this morning. She says... Of all the 16 Alberta communities that have a Friesen Brothers, we're not one of them. She says, so I was so excited when we as a family arrived in Drumheller and saw a Friesen Brothers store. She says, of course, being real talkers, we stopped in, we stocked up on their homemade Ivan's sausage, on pepperoni, beef jerky, and she says, of course, Jespo, the sourdough cinnamon buns. Congratulations, Karen. That's the best call you could possibly make. Can we go back and just take a look at how the Friesen Brothers in Drumheller has... Is that a T-Rex? It appears to me to be a T-Rex coming out of the side of the building. How cool is that? Friesen Brothers in 16 Alberta communities, including beautiful Drumheller. You can find out more at Friesen.com. Received note, by the way, uh, our Twitter poll wrapped up yesterday and, and we had asked you, uh, this was uh, based on our interview with Alice Sparkly Cat, the, can I say, famed astrologer? She's certainly a notable astrologer. She's like of the new school of astrology, pushing out her, her uh, horoscopes and other observations on Insta story. I mean, these are ways that people are connecting with astrology these days. And, and we had asked you how you feel about it. Like, is, is it something that's part of your life? Do you take it seriously? Do you not? 835 votes on this unofficial poll. I don't know if you two read into the numbers. Do you read into if we get 800 respondents? to something as opposed to three or four thousand so we've had polls that people take a little bit more seriously and we'll get 3,500 or 4,000 people engaging but still 835 it's no joke of the 835 who responded there was an interesting trend because we gave you three options absolutely I buy in 100% for horoscopes sure they can be fun or oh come on no way the cynics had it running away early but by the end of the 24-hour period, which was just a short time ago, it just wrapped up about an hour ago, our poll, it was down to 50%. 50.4% of you voted, oh, come on, no way. Another 42.5% said, sure, they can be fun. And then 7% said, absolutely, I buy in 100%. So put it this way, this is an audience, this is a community divided this is split 50 percent of you say no way and then the combination of people who buy in 100 percent or say yeah sure they can be fun equals 49.6 percent this was a nail biter this was right down the middle if you missed our conversation with alice sparkly cat you can find it uh of course anywhere you download your podcast thanks to those of you that subscribe and of course thanks to those of you as well that that join us every morning on youtube and subscribe there you can smash the like button if you're enjoying what you're hearing here, it's a good time for us to remind you as well. Our question of the week is always up for you at RyanJesperson.com. This week, we're asking you about the Olympic Games. 
Another Olympics have come and gone. This one in Tokyo after a year-long delay. More than 11,000 athletes in 33 sports came together in this edition of our Get Real Question of the Week. We want to hear your take on the moments in this year's games, the relevance of the spectacle, and how you feel about some of the events. We have a few minutes before our next interview with Herb Blair, and I'm wondering if this might be time to get into this. Now, typically, I think the beauty of the question of the week on Real Talk is that it's private. You don't have to discuss publicly how you feel about something. You can do it under the cover of anonymity and share your thoughts and and your feelings. And some of these questions might make some of you uncomfortable by design. That's the point. We want it to have a meaningful question of the week. I'm going to work my way through this with you right now. Did you pay attention to the games this year? You know what I'm going to go with? I didn't watch much, but I checked in on how it was going regularly. Not really, but I tuned in for the signature events. That's me. 100 meters, 200 meters, women's soccer, the qual- the, the uh, semifinal game against the States, the gold medal game. When that men's decathlon was getting really interesting, watch that. Some great Canadian athletes. Watched a little bit of the skateboarding. Did you guys watch? Did you get into that at all? Some of the other events, surfing, golf. Just, yeah, just bits of it. The skateboarding dominated by teenagers. Yeah. I kind of loved that. Like seeing like literally 13-year-olds meddling at the Olympic Games. It was wild. Where do you go from there in life after oh, you have a gold medal at 13? Wasn't it like, didn't Shirley Temple win an Oscar when she was like eight or something? Or am I thinking of somebody else? No, who's, I'm, I'm not, it's not Shirley Temple. Or maybe it is. There were, Anna two, there were two really young. Anna Paquin won. Was that for, for the, the piano? For the piano. Yeah. Youngest Oscar winners. Like, what do you do if you win an Academy Award? I feel like that kind of takes the pressure off, I think. Like, you're like, okay, I've accomplished something really great. Yeah. Now I can. What else do I want to do? I like that. Because like, I remember when I uh, got, got out of journalism school, I went and worked at the CBC. And that, that was like the pinnacle. That was what I was thinking. That's what I wanted to do with my life. And then I got there and was like, oh, well. Now what? Yeah. Well, now what do I really want to do? What do you really want to do? I want to work with Ryan Jesperson on Real Talk. I'm thrilled that your dreams have come true. (laughs) Shirley Temple won an honorary Oscar at age six in 1935. My son is six. Wow. I'm going to let him know. Shirley Temple had an honorary Oscar. And by the time she died, perhaps her greatest achievement, I would say, is probably the most notable non-alcoholic beverage of all time named in her honor. It is so good. I love a good Shirley Temple. If my source is correct, and I'm citing the New York Post here, at 10 years old in 1974, based on her role as Addie Prey, a pint-sized con artist selling Bibles to unsuspecting widows during the Great Depression in the film Paper Moon, at 10 years of age, Tatum O'Neill became the youngest Academy Award winning actor of all time, a best supporting actress role in 1974. Very interesting. Patty Duke was 16. This is wild. Hey, Anna Paquin, best supporting actress uh, was 11. Yeah, I mean, that's yeah, I wonder that'd be interesting. To, it would be interesting to talk to a child psychologist. I had a chance to talk to somebody yesterday who who does a little bit of work with Macaulay Culkin. That would be another example. These child stars that are just under such intense pressure that whatever they do for the rest of their life, people are like, what are they doing now? Whatever happened to them? It's like, what do you mean what happened to them? The guy's probably worth 150 million bucks trying to live a normal life. 
back to the question of the week. Given the concerns in Tokyo at the time event, the number of cases that occurred as a direct result, should the Olympics have been held at all? How do you feel about this? I know Hoyles, you the other day said that you felt like it was inappropriate that the, even though there were no fans, you said you didn't love that the games. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but that was the sense you gave us that you felt that they should have been paused for another year. What was your sense on that? Uh, I I just think I yeah that they should have been paused. I mean, I'm not a fan of the Olympics. Period. So yeah, okay. you're, you're not going to get somebody this that's is a, yeah going to rah rah about it. I need to know my audience before I come to you on questions on the question of the week. Well, that's fine, though, because you got to hear if I'm filling this out, you got to make sure you fill it out at some point today, too. So it kind of balances it out. Sam, what did you think? Did you think it was good that they went ahead with the games? They'd been postponed already for a year. Yeah, I'm torn on this. And and like I'm torn on this because I I feel like the international community could have helped Japan be better ready for that. And, And sort of what I mean by that is like, you know, Japan, unfortunately, because they're in the same situation as Canada, they don't manufacture vaccines and they were super, 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 super low vaccination rates because it was just very hard for them as a country to procure them in advance of the games. And so it, it just like to me, because I mean, I'm, I'm sort of on the other side from Sarah. It's just like I naturally love the Olympics. When right. The Olympics are on. It's just like I love the fact that they're always on and there's always something to and watch. And there's this. always a storyline that you've never kind of seen. The two of you can coexist yeah. in the studio and get along despite different opinions. Spread the word about real talk. I'm going to go with yes. The world needed a unifying event after 18 months of isolation and closed borders. I'm going to vote for that. Are the modern Olympics still important and relevant? I'm going to go, yes, the high level of competition creates the best, most thrilling sporting event in the world. It's fine that the Olympics have their detractors or their haters, but I think generally speaking on mass, it's fair to say it's the biggest with maybe with the exception of the World Cup. Um, I, I obviously football fans, soccer fans around the world might argue for the World Cup, but I think that the Olympics is still the biggest stage. Does Canada celebrating our accomplishments? See, here's where it gets into it here. These are the questions I'm, I'm really looking forward to this. Now, we should let our real talkers know that uh, we are taking next week off. And so these results will be announced the week following. Does Canada celebrating our accomplishments in the Olympic Games distract from our ongoing national conversation? about violence against indigenous communities and the legacy of residential schools to celebrating accomplishments in the Olympics distract from that conversation. We've given you some interesting options on this. I'm hoping that five or 600 of you today are inspired to go in and answer these questions based on us going through this right now. Uh, One of the options, yes, the Olympics celebrate national pride that glosses over and shifts our focus. Yes, there are so few indigenous athletes The population is essentially invisible during the games. No, I think the athletes will use platforms to maintain focus on the legacy of residential schools. That's an interesting option. I'm not sure if I would say en masse. I think Olympic athletes are going to be talking about residential schools. You look at some. I mean, arguably our greatest Olympian of all time, Clara Hughes, on this show. I mean, she's been uh, incredible. If you if you fo- if you're on Instagram, follow Clara Hughes today. If you don't already, her I am so impressed by her. I I had no idea about Clara Hughes. I knew that she was a champion cyclist. I knew that she was a phenomenal speed skater. I had really no idea about her sense of, and I say this as a compliment, social justice. 
The other option, no, we can be proud of our athletes and still hold difficult conversations about our nation's history. That's the one I'm going to vote for. And then the other one, these conversations don't have a place in sports. I don't believe that. It's like Andrew Ferentz said to us, the Stanley Cup champion, the former captain of the Edmonton Oilers when he was on this show. I said to him, how do you feel when people tell athletes to stay in their lane? And he kind of looked. He said, that's my lane. This is my lane. Just because I'm an athlete doesn't mean I can't have a strong opinion on something. Here's one. Here's a question. I'm really curious to see where real talkers are going to land. For the first time in Olympic history, transgender athletes were recognized in competition, albeit on a small scale. Transgender athletes are only going to be more commonplace in the future of sport. What are your feelings on the emergence of transgender and non-binary athletes competing in the Olympic Games? And this is where I think this poll is going to get very interesting. And so we give you several options. The team at Y Station has done a great job with this one. It's simple. You should be required to compete as the gender you were assigned at birth. It's simple. You should be required to compete as the gender you identified as during Olympic qualifiers. The debate is over. And the IOC and regulatory bodies for sports need to develop aligned policies to accommodate these athletes before Qualifying for Paris 2024 begins. See, I agree that they need to develop aligned policies, and I and I agree it should be before the next Olympic Games, but I don't know that, that that one opens with the debate is over. That's like you can say certain things, whether we're talking about vaccines or whether we're talking about uh, social programs, things around, you know, supervised consumption or harm reduction. Once you start saying things like the science is settled or the debate is over, that steers me away from that option. Another one, I think a lot of people who want to ban transgender athletes from women's competition are conspicuously silent on other equity and equality issues in women's sports. That's an interesting option. Another one, transgender and non-binary athletes are a reality in the future of sports. It will change how we categorize athletes and organize their competitions. Another, I think it's a reality that an athlete would claim a false gender just to get an edge in competition that blew you back in your chair Hoyles. That's like, that's like when people say that uh, people that claim assault are just doing it for attention. Like I just, that to me is like, that's garbage. In other words saying, you know, some, some, some guy is going to identify as a woman so he can make the whatever team and come in and win a gold medal. That. Yeah. I will say that in the in one of the women's powerlifting events, uh, this this was the one that got that no thank you hashtag trending. You remember that? The American athlete uh, was it the British athlete? I think it was the American athlete that leaned in. There was a nine second silence. A reporter said, "Today history was made in your event. A transgender woman uh, involved in the competition. I don't have the exact phrasing of the question in front of me, but basically said, how do you feel about it? And you had the gold, silver and bronze medalist sitting there nine seconds of silence. And finally, the American leans in and lifts up her mask and says, no, thank you. Most people, I think most reasonable people saw the no, thank you as a no, thank you to the question. Some people weaponized it. It was trending globally on Twitter. We were paying attention to it here in the studio off air. Some people took it as no thank you to the reality of that competitor in that sport that day. I don't think that's what the athlete meant by that. And then our final option here, I think it's ridiculous to think an athlete would go through everything a transgender person is subjected to in order to win a medal. So there's a whole bunch of options here, and I'm really curious to see where real talkers are going to land on this. I've gone through 
all of these options and I've done it publicly. So I do feel compelled to commit to one on here. I'm going to say because I'm turned off by the debate is over assertion. I'm turned off by that. I don't like the debate is over assertion. So I'm going to skip that. And for now, I'm going to go with I think it is ridiculous to think an athlete would go through everything a transgender person is subjected to in order to win a medal. And I will say at least let me say this. I don't know if this is going to be a popular statement. That doesn't matter. Not every statement needs to be made if you only think it's going to be popular. I'm going to say at the Olympic level, I don't think that's the case, but I do think there are people, there have been people and there will be people that in order to prove a point, in order to, I think, almost weaponize the debate, I do think that there will be people and I'm sure that there are instances already publicly of somebody mocking this entire thing. And in a sort of a publicity stunt kind of a way trying to prove something it's going to be it's it's going to happen at some high school or something or some junior college it's going to happen where somebody's going to do something to try to prove a point and it's going to become a national story that Tucker Carlson's going to talk about and Bill O'Reilly's going to come out of hiding Bill O'Reilly's still around right does he do like does he do a podcast now or something after he got paid $60 million to leave Fox News for harassing and assaulting a bunch of people? Yeah, allegedly? he loves the spotlight too much. I'm sure he's somewhere. He's got to be like writing a book or something. Yeah. Like Bill Riley just goes away. But there will be something. I don't think. And, and we were talking to the team at Y Station saying we have to have a question in on that because I th- that's one of the there were so many stories of, of what happened on the field of competition, so to speak, at the Olympics. And then there were so many stories I mean, what about the shared gold medal? What about the shared gold medal in men's high jump, for example? That's another example. That's another example. A lot of stories going on. What was Canada's biggest Olympic moment? Was it Penny Alexiak becoming the most decorated Olympian in Canadian history at age 21? That's kind of like the Oscar thing. Although, you know what I love about Penny? I'll use first name, even though I don't know her personally. She's like... She tweets like she, she just has this swagger. Did you see her tweet after she, she she officially became the most decorated Olympian in Canadian history at age 21? Her tweet, something along the lines. I can tell you it's actually not that lonely at the top. I was like, at a girl. I love it. Andre DeGrasse winning gold in the men's 200. Was that Canada's biggest Olympic? I already know what I think what I think it is. Damian Warner winning the men's decathlon. Arguably, I mean, they've been saying for years the winner of the decathlon, a lot of people will say is the best athlete in the world. Uh, to have that as a Canadian is pretty special and pretty sweet. Here's my vote. Sorry to skew the poll. The Canadian national win women's soccer team winning gold. That for me, that was my that's my Olympic moment. That's what I will remember, I think. I don't know about you. I don't know why I keep asking you. You don't give a shit. No, I mean I I like to be aware of what's happening uh, in the world, and I, you, I, I'm not going to say that I'm I'm not aware of it. And I thought that that was really, I mean, the women winning the gold for soccer. I mean, until DeGrasse won, all the medal gold medals were won by women. So it was huge. Yeah, the Canadian women showed up in a big way. What was the biggest moment overall? We ask you. Simone Biles withdrawing from competition in order to care for her mental health. The two high jumpers out of Qatar and Italy agreeing to share the gold medal, which I'll be honest, drives me nuts. Because you want them to be like, oh, well, we I are just, competing. It, it drives me. Well, it just, you know, it, I, I don't understand it. I have no problem admitting that. 
And I know that we, we had this conversation. We'll do that. We'll, we'll recreate this, I suppose, for real talkers. But both of you were saying to me, you're like, none of them could go any further. Like, what do you want them to do? They're both at the they're, they're both at that level and neither of them can get to the next level. So what do you want them to do? And and I guess. But there's got to be something. There could have been like attempts. Like there's got to be there's got to be some sort of it. Right. Because mm-hmm. otherwise, what's it, like a shared gold medal. Wasn't it the same when when Jamie Soleil and David Pelche got screwed over by the French judge in 02 and then the Russians were awarded the gold medal? I'm remembering this correctly, right? And then Soleil and Pelche, when everything surfaced and came out and, and, and ultimately worked out in the wash, they were awarded the gold medals, but the Russians were not stripped. So there were two gold medal winners in the figure skating event that year at the Olympics, right? It just seems to me like there should only be one gold medal. That's the whole point. But again, this may surprise folks, not an Olympic athlete here. Elaine Thompson, Harav, out of Jamaica, successfully defending the women's 100 and 200 meter golds while breaking the 33-year-old 100-meter world record. That's pretty phenomenal. The Canadian National Women's Soccer Team winning gold. Allison Felix becoming the most decorated U.S. track athlete in Olympic history. That was big, of course, uh, surpassing Carl Lewis. And then we give you the option to say there wasn't one, the biggest moment. There wasn't one. I'm biased. I'm going to go Canadian National Women's Soccer Team winning gold. And then we go on and we ask you a bunch of questions. I encourage you. I hope that this has inspired you and and prompted you to answer our question of the week. It's a really great way for us to get a sense of where real talkers are at. And and full disclosure, and of course, I'm going to say what's probably obvious to you already. uh, We're going to tap into your responses on some of those questions, in particular, the one around non-binary and transgender athletes. And we're looking forward to future conversations on the show about that. I have no problem admitting that I'm a little bit nervous to have those conversations too, because I think that there are a lot of people that are compassionate, empathetic, open-minded, loving, reasonable people that are still a little bit twisted up on the idea around non-binary and transgender athletes in organized sport. And I think that for us to have courageous conversations about it, coming from a positive place, coming from a place where we make commitments to respect people in these conversations, but allow people to say what they think, I hope is going to be a really productive exercise because I don't see a lot of open-minded, productive conversation about that issue in mainstream discussion. Well, I think we look at it as in sport, but I think just in general, yeah, getting the awareness and the understanding around transgender uh, folks and and what that is and how it operates instead of because you know we've all been socialized to think of the binary of of, yeah. of men and women men and women and so then and then to put it through the lens of sport is like an added layer because as they say on Ted Lasso I can't remember the name of the character but football is life sports is life as is triathlon. And Edmonton from August 20th through 22nd is going to be hosting for the third time in its history. It's why they call it Canada's Triathlon City, the World Triathlon Championship Finals. It's coming up in just a couple of weeks. And so it's, uh, I mean, it's never too late or never too soon to get involved or to get your seats set up. In other words, if you're still considering participating, there's still an opportunity. There are some limited spots, but there's all kinds of cool ways to get involved. You can look here, for example, the the Elite 
classes, the U23s, the up-and-coming triathletes, the champions of tomorrow. Look at all these community events, opportunities to volunteer, and then here with spectators. This is great. The main event schedule, this website's really easy to navigate at edmonton.triathlon.org. You can see everything that's going on, including that urban cycling fondo that a bunch of people are talking about. A couple pals of mine are talking about riding in that. That's on the Sunday, August 22nd. All the details, again, for the World Triathlon Championship Finals at edmonton.triathlon.org. Also wanted to take an opportunity to remind you that our friends at Grand Dog Essentials Quality Raw Food are about so much more than just the quality raw food. They've got a team of nutritionists available to consult with you to find the solution that's best for your pop. They've got their supplements. They've got oils, whether it's joint health, muscle soreness, a little bit of gut rot that your pup's experiencing. These are the problems that they solve, Hoyles. You know, if you've experienced it on the human side, you know, it's no bueno. But I was checking out their Instagram yesterday, the team at Grand Dog. You know why? You know what prompted me to? Because they reached out to us, a little bouquet, if you will. The team at Grand Dog was on the road making their deliveries, right? They deliver right to your door. Calgary, Edmonton, Central Alberta. They're streaming with the Mixler audio app on the dashboard of their delivery truck, Real Talk, live, on the road. I loved it. But they made it, so I'm poking around their Instagram, and I realized they've got a whole bunch of informative stuff on bones, and when it's okay to give your dog a bone, whether or not it should be a raw bone or a cooked bone, the answer is raw. Never give your dog a cooked bone. All the details at granddog.ca. The promo code REALTALK gets you 10% off your first-time order. All right, let's find out why Métis settlements are suing, essentially, the government. This is a big deal, a lawsuit that implies that Bill 57, and don't worry, we'll get you up to speed on it, is a settler government imposing its views on Indigenous peoples. Herb Blair is with the uh, Métis Settlements General Counsel, kind enough to join us this morning. Herb, welcome to Real Talk, and thanks for making time for us. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here, and I, I look forward to our conversation. Herb, I think I know a lot of people are going to be really interested in this, but I guarantee some folks are going to appreciate a quick backgrounder to get us up to speed on what we're talking about here. What's Bill 57 all about? Well, Bill 57 was some changes that the Minister of Indigenous Relations brought forward, um, and that bill actually has massive impact on the Métis settlements. What they've done is they've changed the governance structure at our central governance level um, as well. Uh, they've made some changes that allow for changes at the community level, which those changes were already there before that we've done that, been there, done that historically. Um, so going from five to three, if they're, if they wanted to, as well as they've, they've put some wordage into the act that says uh, that we can charge our members for uh, services that we provide, which we already were doing and which we already had the authority and autonomy to do. So when I look at it, it, it really is an attack on the central governance of the Métis Settlements General Council. Uh, we have four ex uh, executive here that deal with all of the, the government issues that we deal with. So we negotiate with the federal government as well as the provincial government. And they've said that we have to go from four down to one or two. And they, they, it's very prescriptive. And, you know, I, I look at this, Ryan, and I say it's very double standard. We have a, you know, they've said, you know, your funds are running out. And just to clarify that as well, our funding 
for the governance of the Métis settlements. We pay for it. It is not paid for by the province. It's not paid for by taxpayers. It is our communities, our membership, our money that we use to govern ourselves with. So I, I look at this and I say, how can a premier and his ministers and, and his whole cabinet sit there and even consider changing our governance structure when that province is incurring a deficit and our premier is sitting there expanding his cabinet? You know, and I say, so this is do as I say, not as I do components. And again, it's a very uh, colonial way of doing things. Someone sitting there telling us this is what you have to do. And that's the problem with the Métis settlements right now is that we're under what's called the Métis Settlement Act, which is an ameliorative act. It has nothing to do with rights for Métis people. And I'm not sure if you or your viewers know that in 2016, there was what was called the Daniels decision in the Supreme Court of Canada. And there, the Supreme Court ruled that the federal government has the fiduciary responsibility to Métis people. And so... In reality, we should be transferring from the provincial government and the provincial act to the to the federal government. And that's where the, it comes in the discussion about Section 35 rights. And so our move has been to move. And in order to do that, you have to be what's called poly compliant based on under under the uh, ruling that came out through Daniels. So to be poly compliant you've got to show that you had an uh, uh, ancestral tie to the indige to indigenous families, that you were in Alberta, pre-Alberta, in this case uh, of Alberta, and that you're accepted into the Métis communities. So that, you, you know, it's ancestry, you have to prove it. There's, there's nothing in there about the percentage of how much indigenous blood you have to have. So it's not based on quantum like the states are. So, you know, I, I look at all of this and, and I just say, this province is putting hurdles in the way of Métis people who are poly compliant to move forward with their Section 35 rights under the federal government. And, you know, we question where's the honor of the crown? And how is it that even this government who made these changes under Bill 57, can do so without consulting the membership. We had a very, very prescriptive methodology set in place on how we were going to consult. And the, the, the minister knew very much about this agreement. His staff were working with us on this. And then because of COVID, we couldn't follow through with it because there was a component in there that talked very explicitly about We'll bring these changes forward to the elected representatives, the democratically elected representatives of the community, and then they'll put their input into it. And when we flesh something out, we'll then take it to our members and have our members look at this, have their impact, their input into this. And then from there, they would we would either do a referendum or a plebiscite to, to ensure that we were, we were doing what our members wanted to be done. And all of this was left behind. Yeah. And this I mean, Herb, so you're you know, I, I guess it was back in March. Right. The you know, you I, I'm going to say you claim, but you understand why I'm using the language I am. Yes, you yes, you yes. say that settlement leaders didn't see legislation until it was tabled by the minister in June, mid-June on the 17th. It becomes law 
without membership having any real chance is your position to be heard by government. And so on July 27th, uh, Métis Settlements General Counsel files this claim against the government of Alberta. This isn't exactly the trend that I think most people are expecting to see right now, considering. I mean, let, let me say this, Herb, the fact that you're, you're, you're wearing an orange shirt and everybody, the minute that anybody's going to see you on YouTube right now wearing an orange shirt, they immediately are going to know what that's a reference to. They immediately are going to start thinking about residential schools and children that are being recovered and the national conversation about reconciliation. That's where everybody's at right now. Meantime, there's kind of this parallel storyline going on. Are, are you a little bit gobsmacked? Uh, t- totally. 100% gobsmacked. You know, I look at this and I say, how out of touch is this government with the rest of Albertans and Canadians? You know, I, I look at this, we, you know, people are saying there should be reconciliation, you know, and I look at the, the fact that it started out with 215 graves that they, the unmarked graves they found. And I don't even like that terminology, unmarked graves. I, you know, to me, these are kidnapped children who were murdered. And let's put the truth on the table. That's what's going on. Let's not just say that these are unmarked graves. And now we have 5,296 bodies that have been found. And we haven't even come in Alberta. We haven't even come to the three major sites that we know for a fact that there's a lot of people buried at. And those are Métis children. There's members of each of our communities that have been dramatically affected by this and we have cyclical damages to our to the families and to the children and the grandchildren. And people wonder why it is that there's a distrust of the church, distrust of government and distrust of the RCMP. Well, these are the three people who were all involved with stealing our children and murdering them. And then people say, well, get over this. Well, I look at it and I say, I'm sorry, it's very hard to get over this. There's been, you know, and, and governments, they, they tend to throw some money and say, oh, here, here's $25,000 or whatever the, the amount is. Then, you know, now we're going to eradicate the files. You know, I'm like, I look at this and I say, we should not be trying to erase the history of Alberta and the history of Canada. When it comes to these kinds of things, we learn from them and we and then we, we address it through healing and then we move forward. But the healing hasn't happened because the full truth has not come out and the full truth has has never been exposed. And yet we as Indigenous people have known this for over 100 years. We've spoken of this, we've advocated for this to be taken care of, and it's been ignored. And so finally, the truth is coming to the light. And it's time for for Canada, for those who were involved in it, and, and in Alberta to own their shame. That this, you know, I look at it and I say, you see war criminals persecuted, but not one person has been persecuted for the murder of all of these children. You know, and, and it, as an Indigenous people, I find it as a huge affront to us. And, you know, I think, how do you expect us to have trust in a judicial system? How do you expect us to have trust in all of these, these mega structures when this is the truth of what we deal with? If you're just tuning in, streaming audio on the Mixler audio app, we're talking to the president of the Métis Settlements General Council, Herb Blair. Uh, Herb, obviously, your passion is 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 evident. I know you feel strongly about this. I should note, and I, I should have probably noted in your introduction, you yourself, a survivor of the 60s scoop. Have you like I would imagine you don't just go from disappointment in government 
to a lawsuit. I would imagine that there yeah. was some correspondence in between. I would imagine that you've been in touch with the province, with the Minister of Indigenous Relations or the Premier's office or whomever. Uh, can you take yes. us through that and what the response has been? I, I sure can, Ryan, and thank you for asking that. You know, uh, you know, the, the the province did come forward and say, and through the minister and say, you know, here's some changes that we would like to do. And uh, this, the elected officials and the executive went through those changes and said, here's some that we agree with. These are changes that that are outdated provisions of the Métis Settlement Act. And we were confident that our members would have no problem with us moving forward with those changes to the act. However, all of these other ones, and, and I have to really clarify this, when he initially came to us with what he presented to us initially and what finally went through are night and day. There's a huge difference in this. So when I said that we did not see a lot of this stuff, I was speaking the truth on this. We were completely taken by surprise and we were amazed that there were the ones that we had advocated for and said, here's things that the general counsel has passed unanimously to move forward with, to, to have changes in the act, were completely ignored. You know, so I look at that and I say, here's a minister who knew very well that the democratically elected people said no. Then he went ahead anyway. And then after he's already passed it through, through the first reading, then he has a town hall. And that town hall very, you know, we, we need to recognize that in our communities, we have very limited, uh, limited internet and, and, and the cell phone just don't even work. And a lot of people don't have landlines. So our connectivity is some of the worst in Alberta. And the government's known this all along. We've met with Minister Nate Lubish as well on this. When I started as the, in the presidency, we advised him of these issues. And this is not something that's unknown to them. But anyway, they had a town hall and it was a very short time frame. And again, there was you know selected people that we had nothing to do with this and questions that we had that we wanted to put forward. And uh, we weren't even recognized as speakers to be able to to get in on this town hall. And it was a very few, there was, a, there was one person that I saw have three questions, yet a whole bunch of us were ignored and were not given that opportunity. You know, and what I found uh, the, the greatest dismay is that I said to the minister, I said, minister, if you're so confident that these changes are what our members want, then please let's have a referendum of them. Go and ask our people. And they refused to do that. And they just ran roughshod right over us so that they could accomplish their end game. And when I look at it and we try to figure out what is the end game? And a lot of it is they want to change us into become municipalities, that they want greater control and they don't want us to move over to our Section 35 rights. And that's evidenced as well with the litigation brought forward by and my brothers and sisters that are part of the Métis Nation of Alberta. Yeah, I was just going to ask you what, what you think is motivating the government. So you think that's what it is? It's it, Again, there, um, the Métis Nation of Alberta has a litigation going forward based on lack of consultation without recognition of their Section 35 rights. And so when I look at, at that component, what we're litigating about, again, is a breach of our Section 35 rights. 
you know, and uh, I know for a fact that I've spoken three times to the minister and I've said to the minister that I personally am a poly compliant Métis residing on the Métis settlements. So when I look at, at what Alberta's doing, they are actually racing against Canada on UNDRIP. They want to, in, they don't want to listen to UNDRIP. They don't want to have reconciliation here. And, you know, I, I look at it and I still say we have to have a little bit of cowboy and Indian mentality in the province. Wow. Uh, of course, yeah, you're referencing the United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous People. So ultimately, Herb, um, you know, I mean, w- when it comes down to this, I want to make sure at the end of our conversation here that our audience members and everybody that's going to be downloading this podcast later understand clearly uh, why this has come about. I think you've specified that, why you think it's happening now, what sort of an outcome you think. I mean, obviously, I'm asking for your speculation, for your opinion here, but ultimately, what's the outcome you're looking for? And what do you want people to know? I mean, people are going to be discussing this with their friends, their colleagues, their coworkers. What's the most important thing from your perspective to keep in mind? Before I get into that, Ryan, I want to tell you that the Métis Settlements General Council has an, a memorandum of understanding and a framework agreement with the federal government to move forward under their Section 35 rights. We have a trilateral table that the province, the Métis Settlements General Council, and the federal government sit at. So they are well aware that we're moving towards Section 35 rights. What we expect with this litigation is that this is something that will take three, five, perhaps even 10 years to deal with. What we're working on is to create an injunction so that that we can put a stay on this so that the, this legislation, that the courts will rule that we have enough information, that we have enough just cause to put a stay in place so that we don't have to listen to this legislation. Because right now, under this ameliorative component, the minister has authority and autonomy to create changes to this act because it's ameliorative it's not rights based and when i look at that you you also have to predicate that with the act also states that they cannot abrogate or derogate from our section 35 rights and we find this a direct infringement on those section 35 rights Herb Blair is the president of the Métis Settlements General Council, uh, elected back in April of 2019, a member of the Fishing Lake Métis Settlement, where he served as an elected councillor, chief administrator for several terms, including as chairperson. Respect your passion a whole hell of a lot. Thanks for making time for us. You know, Ryan, I really want to thank you that, that you're such a strong advocate for Albertans and Canadians. And I, and I enjoy that you're taking forward contentious issues and it's real talk for real people. Thank you so much. Uh, Made my week, Herb. I appreciate that. Thanks very much. I'm looking forward to shaking your hand in person, Herb. When we can get back to that, I'm looking forward to that. Uh, Wow. That's just, it's hard to wrap your mind around what's going on right now. Uh, And I know that elected, you know, if you get the minister on here, if the minister would do an interview here, if the premier would, they would say, well, what, you know, you know, I mean, there would be poly talk, right? It would be political speak. And they'd find some way to obfuscate it and create a bunch of clouds and murk and mire. And it's what, it's what they do. But they would talk about how it's important for the government to continue to establish working relationships with communities in a way that honors the traditions of the longstanding respect that's been held between elected officials and government and uh, Métis people living. In, and it would turn into this on the surface. 
What this is, is the president of the Métis Settlements General Council saying he can't get an audience with the government, even at a town hall, saying that they're not respecting the base. I mean, when you have the president of the Métis Settlements General Council saying that the Alberta government is trying to get ahead of Canada and trying to get ahead of the United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples, that's a hell of a thing to hear. Make sure you let everybody know that you heard it here on Real Talk and make sure you spread the word that this is where these conversations are happening. Of course, we appreciate every single person that shares a link to our content, that chimes in, that sends us an email to talk at ryanjesperson.com as we keep these conversations going. This feels like a good time to remind you that our friends at the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park for the entire month of August have made a commitment to the Wakutuin Society. It's their Every Child Matters, Every Cone Counts initiative. They've consulted with indigenous community members, partners, and they asked where they could make a commitment that would really have a strong impact. And the Wakutuin Society is proud to partner with these six Dairy Queens in Palisades, Nemeo, Newcastle, Westmount, Y Gardens, and Baseline Road. They provide the society does these annual retreats for indigenous women who are survivors of both residential schools and cancer, giving them an opportunity to work on their physical, emotional, spiritual, and mental health to return to their communities in leadership roles, empowered. What an amazing initiative. Encourage you at some point through the month of August to visit those six Dairy Queens, maybe all six of them if you're feeling up for it. A dollar from every cone sold would go to that society. What a great initiative. Also want to remind you, it's Thursday, which means tomorrow is Trash Talk presented by Local Waste. You can send us your rant or your rape, even if it's just a couple of lines. Even if it's something you just got to get off your chest, you wonder, is this petty? I had something petty I had to get off my chest to a friend the other day. I said, I know it's petty. And after I told her, she said, you're right, that is petty. And I said, but it felt great to get it off my chest. So thank you very much. It's presented by Local Waste. If you check them out online at localwaste.ca, you'll see how you can connect with them in Alberta and Saskatchewan. If you're looking for a bin, they can manage your construction, commercial, even residential waste and recycling collection. But they're also looking for partners. If you're an entrepreneur that sees an opportunity in your community, might be a good fit for Local Waste. Mikkel, Lauren, Chris would love to talk to you again. You can find them on their website, localwaste.ca. Well, it's been a couple of months. It's been a few months. As a matter of fact, it's been four of them uh, since our next guest last joined us. He's the former chief medical officer of health for the province of Alberta. He's been the director of the public health laboratory, the medical officer of health in uh, the city here that we call home. And then, of course, as mentioned, Alberta's chief medical officer of health. Uh, first in none of it, then in Alberta, he's currently an adjunct professor in the School of Public Health at the University of Alberta. And one of the reasons why he's here right now, he's one of the signatories uh, to an open letter to the prime minister asking it's an urgent appeal for direct funding intervention, asking that Ottawa mitigate the risks of the Delta variant where the provincial government will not do so. Dr. James Talbot, it's great to have you back on the show. Thanks for making time for us. How have you been holding up? We haven't seen you for four months. You managing all right? I am. Thank you. I'm taking a little bit of time off on the coast right now, hiking, kayaking, and biking. and It's been great. You want to, you want to talk to us about where you've been hiking? You want to tell a story? You got any good stories right now? <laughs> Well, we were out yesterday and we surprised a family of seals and the mum, I, I did not realize that mums 
who are seals are fierce when they're <laughs> defending their their pups. I I was actually afraid. So I feel like there's they seem they seem so cute, but. Yeah, I was gonna say maybe there's a metaphor here for something. Uh, yeah, yeah. The, the mama, the, the mama seal who can appear to be docile and sweet when you mess with her pups. I think they call them right. Yeah, yeah. She, she can go off. Yeah, there probably is a metaphor there. Uh, let me ask you this. I mean, I think our audience is well familiar by now with the letter that we're talking about. It indicates that for the last year and a half, our children say the signatories, including you, have been forced to give up much of their childhood. Uh, to keep vulnerable members of society safe. Uh, And despite widespread availability of vaccines for people older than 12, we find ourselves at the start of a fourth wave with the highly contagious Delta variant. Elementary kids not yet eligible for vaccines remain at high risk. These are the types of words, right? Fourth wave, highly contagious that are going to get everybody's opinion. Before we get into why you signed this, why don't we get your assessment of where we're at right now with all of this? Well, in Alberta, we're pretty solidly into a fourth wave, likely caused in the main because Delta is just far more transmissible. And that's likely because we carry more copies of the virus when we're infected with Delta than we did with Alpha or the original. So it just makes it more infectious. Um, The second thing that's contributing is at the beginning of the month, the province virtually wiped out all of the population kind of protections that were in place, telling people to mask indoors, having maximum capacities for indoor and encouraging social distancing. And then they hosted, they allowed super spreader events. And then on Monday, they're going to remove the last of the remaining protections, which is the ability to test people uh, uh, trace their contacts and make sure that people isolate. And the most, the strongest example of that is that they're now saying if you test, if your laboratory tests positive for COVID, it's optional for you as to whether or not you have to isolate. And I, I just want to make that point a little bit more forcefully here. If there were two things that I thought could come out of this pandemic that would be really worthwhile in terms of protecting people in the future. It's one, hand washing, which, you know, we've always been big fans of, and uh, people have really stepped up to the plate. But the second is the message that if you're sick, don't go into work, don't go uh, into school. And the the message they're giving next week is going to totally undermine the idea that, that that's going to occur. I bet you that's somebody that knows you, that cares about you, that's just super excited that you're live on Real Talk right now. They're just calling to let you know that they're watching. Uh, to be serious, though, I, you know, let's not joke around about this. I mean, you know, uh, a lot of people, thousands, hundreds of thousands of people are extremely concerned. I think most especially considering the timing, to state the obvious, the kids are getting set to go back into schools. Uh, the letter here that you've signed on to directly references that. Let me ask you, uh, you're, you're talking about you know, policy that is undermining other initiatives and best practices. If you were Alberta's chief medical officer of health right now, would this be happening? Uh, I have spent my entire career developing systems that give us better information of what's happening in the community surveillance systems. So what happens on Monday is we're going to blind those surveillance systems. So I would not my entire career says I'm not in favor of that. I think the better evidence you have, the better decisions that you make. And uh, no, I, I, I don't agree. I didn't agree with the full opening and we were quite uh, 
vocal about that uh, as a group of physicians. I, we knew it was going to cause the fourth wave, and there are two elements of that. Let's just talk about the fourth wave. Uh, three weeks ago, Alberta was at 50 cases per day. It's at 500. Uh, you don't really need much more evidence than that. It's almost all Delta. The positivity rate, which inside baseball we follow pretty carefully, is now above 5%. So we're well and truly into a, a, a fourth wave. Um, and look at the inequity. That's another one of those jargon terms. But for Albertans, I always translate it as unfairness. Right? The unfairness of the fourth wave is that, first of all, anybody who's under the age of 12 isn't eligible for the vaccine because we haven't had enough testing to know that it's safe. All right, so they're at risk no matter what. And we also know that uh, not just kids who are in lower socioeconomic situations, but adults as well are going to be more vulnerable to the fourth wave. Some of them haven't gotten the vaccine, not because they are philosophically opposed to it, but because they haven't had the opportunity, because they're busy working, taking care of their family, doing childcare. So, you know, that unfairness says that we really should be continuing to push the vaccine with positive, negative incentives. You saw in Quebec, which has, uh, and we're at about 67% with people who are fully immunized. In uh, Quebec, it's over 80%. And they're bringing in vaccine passports. And, and immediately after they announced that, they got double the number of people coming in to be immunized. There's, there's a whole range of positive and negative incentives that we could put in place that would mean that uh, uh, there was more protection for the people who still aren't immunized. And as the letter says, we're particularly concerned about uh, kids under the age of 12. I want to cite a global news report that's, that's just been released. Uh, global News reaching out, they say, to every Canadian province asking whether they'd be open to using a vaccine passport within their respective provinces or handing over necessary data to make domestic use a possibility. The Saskatchewan Ministry of Health said the province encouraged everyone to get vaccinated, but officials had no plans to implement a requirement to show proof of vaccination. A provincial spokesperson from Manitoba told Global News it had developed and adopted its own proof of vaccination document, which was already in use. They continued to have regular discussions with Alberta about domestic proof of vaccination and proof of vaccination documents for international travel. Alberta, when asked, said no. In an emailed statement to Global News. Just acting like pricks for starters what do you think's going on right now there's a bunch of talk about freedom and liberty but what is going on i i don't know i mean there's an announcement in the u.s that big firms like walmart are actually moving to mandate that their employees can't come back to work unless they're fully immunized that's a negative incentive but you can tell it's pretty effective I think um, more and more, th those of us who've been fortunate enough to get two doses of the vaccine and who continue to observe the rules just to make sure that we keep everybody safe are, are starting to question why there isn't a consequence and I, I, uh, to uh, your decision about to immunize or not to immunize. I think uh, parents would feel more reassured in Alberta if they knew that um, uh, teachers and other staff in schools 
would have to show proof of immunization. I know that people in long-term care and in hospitals, uh, patients uh, and clients of those facilities would feel a lot more secure knowing that everyone who took care of them was immunized. So I, I don't I don't understand the motivation of the government. Uh, I think, as we said really early on in this, you know, you can talk about rights, but when the virus is out there spreading really fast and potentially going to kill you, it's already infringing on your rights. Donna's watching us live. She says, knowing the numbers of infections or cases always played into my behaviors like shopping or taking part in outdoor activities. Not knowing leaves us either isolating or taking chances. And it feels completely unfair. That from Donna. How important do you think it is, doctor, that the general public has statistics and data in front of them? When does it become our business or, or when does it become justifiable for a government? I mean, there, I can see, obviously, political motivation. If the general public doesn't see case counts, doesn't see hospitalizations, they have no way to analyze or gauge where the province is at. But is, is this is this the right of the public to have access to this data? Do you think right now? Oh, absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more. Uh, I, I think that one of the things that we rely on in public health is getting the information out there and having millions of people make good decisions as a consequence. And one of the things I loved about being chief medical officer of health in Alberta was that uh, Albertans are those are very practical, very sensible people. And so, you know, we've beaten the virus three different times and it, the government didn't beat it. The healthcare system didn't beat it. It was millions of Alberta, Albertans making decisions every day, just like Donna was talking about. Am I going to wear my mask? That place looks pretty crowded and a lot of people not wearing masks. Should I really go in there? Um, you know, uh, uh, am I going to attend this event? Am I going to tell family members that I, uh, I'm 75 years old and I would really prefer that they stand at the door and talk to me from outside or that we meet by, uh, by a, a pad app of some kind so that we can stay safe? I mean, literally millions of, dis millions of Albertans making decisions that the government couldn't cover in their wildest dreams. But if you give them the facts... It gives them the opportunity to exercise that common sense. You know, we've heard from the provincial health minister, Tyler Shandro, that this is a decision that was based on Dr. Dina Hinshaw's recommendations, Alberta's current chief medical officer of health. He says it's an evidence based decision. He says the science backs the decision. I've seen many members of the public demanding access to or enlightenment around what science he's referring to. Is there a justification here that maybe not everybody would agree with, but is there valid scientific justification for making the decisions that the Alberta government has made? I think that you take there are two things that are important when you ask that question. The first is, um, is the evidence there and have the public had the chance to examine it, test it? you know, give it the smell test, the rest of it. And so far, that's not happened. We haven't seen a model. This is a government that depended on models in the beginning. We haven't seen a model for how big the fourth wave they think is going to be. We haven't seen a model for how many deaths there might be. 
We haven't seen a model for their projections on long COVID and how much long-term disability is going to result because we allow it to circulate in the community. We haven't seen the statistics, uh, admittedly rare, on how many children might end up dying as a consequence of these decisions. There are children in ICUs in the U.S., in places that have lower immunization rates than us, but not that much lower, that suggests that that's a risk. So that's one. And the second, uh, besides having the evidence, is the timing. So where does it make sense that the province with the second lowest immunization rate opens the widest when provinces with higher immunization rates are being more cautious? And so I think with that in mind, it's, the evidence is still really important, but you have to question the timing. Why do it now? Why not wait until uh, people are going back to work, schools are starting to open, and we, see, we get a chance to see how that's working before we, we, we go ahead and throw the doors wide open, which is what we've done. Uh, newspaper columnist David Staples is not a doctor. I am not a doctor. You are. So let me read his tweet. I want to get you to respond. He grabs everyone's attention by wondering what the bloody hell is Alberta's Dr. Dina Hinshaw doing? And then he follows up by saying she's leading Canadians kicking and screaming out of this wretched pandemic to the sanity and relief of herd immunity and better public health. He goes on to say, I'm pretty sure this is the best Canadian example of real leadership under immense pressure I have seen in my lifetime he says this view of Dr. Hinshaw is not widespread right now, but it will be. Your response? I've known D Dina Hinshaw for 20 years, and the chief MOH that people saw throughout this pandemic, where they could sense her decency, her honesty, her dedication, and her intelligence is exactly the person I've known for that 20 years. And she's exactly that same person today. You don't change that. This is a difficult situation in which we have a virus that was pretty much unknown uh, 18 months ago, uh, two years ago, in which the science is still coming in and, uh, and we're learning more things about it and the virus is changing. So it is possible for good people to disagree about the evidence. So uh, I, I do respect uh, Dr. Hinshaw. And uh, in some ways, I hope that David Staples is right. But the problem is that as a physician, and many of the people on the letter are, are physicians, um, I have to consider what happens if things go wrong. And uh, we're not recommending that people stay in complete lockdown now. That's a false argument. We're just saying that we would appreciate it if things were done a little more, more cautiously and in, a more, and in a more fair way. Let me say this. Uh, you know I've got a ton of respect for you, and I have respect for the Office of Alberta's Chief Medical Officer of Health. I've never met Dina Hinshaw personally. I don't know her personally. I respect how much you respect her, and you've always approached this with candor and professionalism, which is not always possible, and I've always appreciated your willingness to take a question head on. But you just said to us as a medical professional, you have to consider what happens if this doesn't work out, and it strikes hundreds of thousands, if not millions of Albertans, that the current CMOH is not doing 
that. I mean, you're talking about how policy right now and I'll acknowledge what you're about to say, which is that ultimately this comes down to government, right? This ultimately is the decision of the minister of health and probably the decision of the premier, if we're being honest. So maybe it's not fair to put it on Dr. Hinshaw's shoulders, but they're putting her in that position. They're saying this is based on her advice. And you're telling me that it flies in the face of everything. You're saying that it undermines everything else. I just don't understand. I recognize that you respect her as a person. You've known her for 20 years. I get those dynamics. It's like me, Tom Olson. He's the CEO of the Canadian Energy Center, the war room. He was my first boss at the Calgary Herald. He's actually a great dude. He's doing a terrible job. And it is my job to go on the record and say, Tom, I love you. I'll buy you a beer every time I see you. But unbelievably bad job. It's tough to do sometimes. I recognize you respect her, but I don't understand how you can continue to support her if what you're saying here is true, that you think this flies in the face of evidence. So uh, I'm going to, you already made a big part of what I'm about to say clear. So I'm just going to try to add some stuff around the edges. Um, Dr. Hinshaw has said that she presented this as a course to the government. The government is saying that it was her decision. This is a government that has refused to make public any of the advice that Dr. Inshaw has given up until now. There had been multiple questions over the past 15 months of what was recommended by Dr. Hinshaw and what the government actually did. So this is the one time that they decide that they're going to um, make this public. Uh, they didn't say that about the decision to throw Alberta wide open at the beginning of July, which is what's really triggering the fourth wave and for which the other decision about contact tracing is uh, a kind of uh, an additional problem, but it's not a big, as big a problem as the decisions that were made back in July. So I have problems with the fact that they're being very selective about this. Nothing that they've said is inconsistent with uh, Dr. Hinshaw presenting three options to them, one of which was eliminating tracing, uh, contact tracing and isolation, and two others, and they chose this one and say, well, it was Dr. Hinshaw's recommendation from us. There's nothing inconsistent with that story in anything that they've said. Having said that, they... This is a government that I have to say, and it's mentioned in the letter, so I'm not the only one who thinks about it, that decided that it was okay for members of the government to travel internationally uh, for clearly non-essential reasons and, uh, and didn't do very much about it. So in terms of the leadership that you hope you get from uh, the government in terms of walking the walk, uh, Dr. Hinshaw clearly did not travel outside the country, even though she has one of the most exhausting jobs in the country. And it's also a government decided it was okay not to obey their own regulations around restaurants. So I have to say in a contest between someone that I've known for 20 years, who's never done a, 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 a single action that uh, she should be ashamed of, and a group of people who did so in, in public and were unapologetic, I just don't find them very convincing. James, uh, Dr. Talbot, I have always appreciated your willingness to take these questions. Fastballs right down the middle. And I appreciate your availability, most especially while you're on vacation. We wish you happy hiking, happy paddling. And I'll look forward to the next time our paths cross in person. Thanks so much. You got it. That's Dr. James Talbot. That's not an easy line to walk that he just walked. He just said a whole lot. If you're reading between those lines, 
maybe not even reading between the lines. I can respect that. What's he implying? Let's say it plainly. She's getting thrown under the bus. They're not taking her advice. He believes that ultimately, I'll tell you what I want. I want to read her book two years from now. Interesting insight from a guy who knows exactly what he's talking about because he's done that job. Dr. James Talbot, who just signed an open letter that reads in part. He put his name on this. Almost every expert in the country and indeed around the world have expressed profound concern about the trajectory Alberta is now on. Our children will pay the price for this enormous gamble. And while they may not overwhelm the healthcare system, they will face the consequences of increasing hospitalizations as well as the unknown long term repercussions when COVID runs rampant through an unvaccinated population the alberta government has abdicated its moral responsibility to the citizens of alberta that is not a joke we'll have the link to that interview up uh, shortly as soon as we go off air and we encourage you to share that with everybody that you know should hear that and again our thanks to dr james talbot we're going to talk in just a moment to the director emeritus of the china institute at the university of alberta find out What's possible with regards to a Canadian response to a horrific circumstance, quite frankly, a, a court in China convicting a Canadian businessman, Michael Spavor, Spavor, pardon me, of espionage, sentencing him to 11 years in prison. He's been detained alongside a fellow Canadian, Michael Kovrig, since 2018. I'm sure you're familiar with the background, but we'll get into that with Gordon Holden in just a moment. I wanted to remind you right now that if you are going to be heading away, if you're finally getting ready to take a deep breath and get the heck out of Dodge for a while, you know, if you're looking to book a trip right now, starting October 31st, you can fly nonstop from Alberta's capital city, Edmonton out of the Edmonton International Airport to San Diego with Swoop nonstop starting October 31st. While you're making plans, why not book your self-parking spot at jetsetparking.com? jetsetparking.com you won't get any closer for the price check this out you go on the website you can book your spot and if you use the promo code real talk I'm going to scream this from the rooftops. You can park for $5 a day at the airport. That's ridiculous. The promo code REALTALK gets you airport parking at Jet Set Parking for $5 a day for any travel by the end of 2022. They are locally owned and you will love them. We guarantee it. We also wanted to remind you that the teams at St. Albert and Sherwood Dodge right now are making way for the brand new Grand Cherokees. They're coming in. This next generation Grand Cherokee Jeep has invested literally hundreds of millions of dollars into the development. It is a stunning vehicle. I've had a chance to see it for myself. It means they've got new 2021s that have got to go including the 2021 Grand Cherokee Laredo. These are great trucks. I've driven one. You can get them nicely equipped right now for under 47 grand at Sherwood and St. Albert Dodge Jeep. If you're looking for them online, you can find them under the Sponsors tab at ryanjesperson.com. Well, let's get into this story. As you know, a court in China just a short time ago, a couple of days ago, convicting Michael Spavor of espionage, sending him to 11 years in prison. Michael Kovrig remains detained as well. And oh, yeah, there's the story of Robert Schellenberg, whose appeal 
uh, to a death sentence for drug trafficking recently denied the two stories unrelated or are they? Gordon Holden is director emeritus of the China Institute at the University of Alberta. He worked with the Canadian Foreign Service uh, prior to that, posted to Havana, Hong Kong, Warsaw, Beijing, and executive director of the Canadian Trade Office in Taipei. He's seen a whole heck of a lot. We're grateful, uh, Mr. Holden, that you've agreed to make time for us today. Welcome to the show, and thanks for this. It's a pleasure, and I very much enjoyed your previous show on the uh, sitting here at the University of Alberta in my office now. I was fascinated by everything I had to say in that last segment. But uh, my life has been China, at least the last, I mean, 35th year and full-time work on China. It's complicated as well. Isn't it? And I feel like we don't it, it, we have an impossible task right now trying to understand the dynamic between China and Canada or China and the rest of the world. I know that a lot of Canadians right now are demanding more action from the federal government. I've seen people demanding sanctions. Why don't we get in your mind, in your assessment, the significance of of what's going on right now with the so-called two Michaels, most especially this 11 year sentence just a couple of days ago? Sure. Well, for the last two and a half years, the relationship has basically been paralyzed by the Man Among from the Chinese side, her detention in Vancouver on an extradition warrant, and from a Canadian perspective, of course, my own as well, by the detention of two Michaels. One, Michael Spavor, the Canadian, the Calgarian, uh, my hometown, who was sentenced yesterday to 11 years in prison. And that, that combination of things, the two Michaels and Hmong, um, as long as those cases are before us or before those the governments of China and Canada, there's not going to be any significant forward movement um, two and a half years on. Uh, it's hard to imagine circumstances normalizing in any way until those, those are out of the way. Um, and if I'd like to think we're in the middle innings that were weeks or a couple of months away from settlement with the two Michaels back with their families safely in Canada, uh, but I have no guarantee of that. We could have this wrapped up in the fall. We could be talking about this, I hope not, five or ten years from now, God forbid. Is it as simple as Canada making things right with China? And, and feel free to take issue with the wording of that, doctor. But around the, the, the detainment of uh, Meng Wanzhou, the, the Huawei executive, I mean, is it that simple? And if so, what might be the implications? I'll note a different administration with President Biden versus President Trump. But is Canada also considering its relationship with its biggest trading partner and its next door neighbor? Well, I don't think it's as simple as making it right. For one thing. I think the relationship, the character of it has changed in a permanent way. Um, Canadians are now very wary. You're almost getting down now in terms of positive views of China to like error in polling. Uncertain 14% I saw last year in a Nano's poll, Canadians who hold a positive view of China. I don't think that's going to, to change quickly. And I think, quite frankly, all of those are responsibility for managing that, rela managing that relationship. Uh, the government of Canada and the, and the party that happens to be in power at any, at any moment, they're all going to have to look at China as a different place or through different eyes than was the case prior to December 2018. Even after we solved this, I don't think we go right back to where we were on November 30th, 2018. I know we can't because of the views of Canadians and quite frankly, even the views of many Chinese have shifted as well. Uh, Dr. I... Uh, I have, I'm going to be honest. I, I'm actually nervous to ask you this question because I don't mean any disrespect to anybody. But you know, something occurred to me yesterday. I was doing some background reading, preparing to talk to you. And I thought, you know, I've never actually heard anybody ask an expert if it's actually possible 
that Michael Spavor and Michael Kovrig really are spies. Is it possible? Well, you ask a very delicate and important question. I understand. Um, Michael Kovrig, like me, um, I had five China posts and he worked in China. Um, the Chinese don't appreciate the fact that foreign diplomats poke around, try and figure what's happening. Um, I did that on, I had three, I had postings in communist countries on three continents. And in each one of those, my job was, and I did it as best of my abilities, to poke around and find out what's really happening. That annoys uh, the Chinese. But the Chinese didn't realize when they detained Kovrig, within the, I don't get too much into inside baseball here, but um, in the uh, Vienna Convention on Consular Relations and Diplomatic Relations, the provisions there, you can never question anyone um, or act against them on the basis of their previous assignment. Now, when he was arrested, he's now working for International Crisis Group, which is a, a consulting firm. Uh, but the Chinese, when they questioned him, had no right to ask him what he had done when he was a diplomat posted in China. When we pointed that out to them, not me, but the government, I think they they stopped that line of question. Uh, as for Mr. Mr. Um, Spavor, he was working on a delicate file, North Korea, in a delicate part of China, Dandong, which is right on the border of the Yellow River, across the river. You could see it um, probably from where he was living. You can see North Korea. It's dark at night, it's the, uh, unlike uh, Dandong on the Chinese side. Uh, the Garrett's Canadian couple who were arrested several years ago, eventually freed, were also living in Dandong. This is a sensitive border area. So I don't doubt that the Public Security Bureau and the Chinese are thorough about this. Maybe even the Ministry of State Security have fat, thick files. I do not believe in any way that either of these individuals was a spy, but when you have when a police agency, particularly one as thorough as the Chinese one, uh, observes you for years and years, out of that, they can build some kind of a case. And that's why we don't want our own national government or security agencies in this country tracking and reporting everything you do. I mean, you can pick and choose. You can, um, uh, journalists can make a case one way or the other if they choose to be biased, unfair. So that, I guess that's a long answer to a short question. No, they were not spies. They are not spies. They have, well, have done nothing, in my opinion, that should have brought down the suspicion of the Chinese authorities onto them. And they would be free and still living in China if it hadn't been for Madame Monk. So that's what also convinces me that there's nothing behind the, any accusation they've done anything wrong. Uh, but when, in December 1st, 2018, someone in the hi hierarchy of the Chinese Communist Party said, well, let's grab a couple of theirs and see how they react. And they look at, a, I'm sure, a long list. Here's a couple of people who've been here a long time working on sensitive issues. Let's grab them. Mm -hmm. um, that hasn't worked out well for China. It certainly hasn't worked out well for us. So uh, just to be crystal clear, no, these were not spies. But if you take voluminous uh, records of, of taped conversations and monitoring, anybody who lives in China is going to be taped and monitored on an occasional basis. You can make something out of nothing. Uh, Dr. Holden, uh, one of our uh, live viewers here, Dwayne, says China is a superpower with allies. We don't want another world war to happen. I'm not sure we're talking about world war, but even talk around economic sanctions. I mean, you ask uh, Canadian canola producers or you ask people that work with timber or aluminum or anything else. 
what happens when you tick off China. There can be major economic implications. Like I said earlier, I've seen some people on social media demanding that the prime minister or this federal government impose sanctions on China, which I don't know if you might characterize that as as laughable or not. But what tools does Canada's government and Canada's diplomats, what do they have in their toolbox that you can see them utilizing? What position does Canada have in this right now? There's a host of things that we could do that would annoy or potentially even to some extent hurt China. I'm not convinced that there's an arrow in the quiver that will free the two Michaels, other than the question of, of Madame Monk. Um, sometimes it's tempting when you have two people who are unfairly imprisoned to say, we should do anything, everything that will free them. But governments have to take a longer term view, in my opinion. Um, our trade with China, counterintuitively, actually grew last year, went up by some 8%. That's our exports. Our exports grew by 8%. Our exports on average of the rest of the world, including the United States, dropped by 11%. We are only five in this province, 5% dependent, roughly 5% dependent on China trade um, in terms of exports for the whole country. But the potential is huge. It's not a likelihood, it's virtually a certainty that in this decade, the Chinese economy based on current growth rates will pass the United States in size. I was on a moderating session with the Chinese ambassador to the United States a few months ago, along with the man who wrote uh, Thisudes, um, Are China and the United States Destined for War? The Chinese ambassador noted, well, with a population four times that of the United States, it shouldn't be that surprising that in a few decades, their economy will be two or three times as large. He's right. It is a possibility. So for a country that's so trade dependent, we have to be a bit careful about casually putting them in the enemy category. I worked on the Cold War um, in the 70s and 80s. It ended about the beginning of the 1990s. And we, it sort of ended the best possible way for the West. The good guys won. The bad guys lost. Um, it ended without a fight. But it wasn't just the Korean Missile Crisis. There was other times when there was a chance of an intercontinental nuclear exchange, which would have been more or less civilization ended. I'm not a happy Cold War warrior who wants to go down that path with China. Uh, I think a lot of hard-thinking American policy people don't want to either. We may end up there. Let's not be in a rush. Let's think hard before we do things. Let's look very carefully. Will this actually achieve our goals or will it simply make us feel good? The story of Robert Schellenberg has been told as well, of of course, across the country to familiarize people uh, who may not recognize his name. He's the Canadian who was arrested and, and convicted essentially of drug trafficking, drug smuggling, I should say. He appealed his sentence and was then uh, sentenced to death. That appeal uh, just recently denied. You, you feel terrible for someone in that circumstance. I don't know the reality of what's true or what's not. Is this a completely unrelated story to the two Michaels is the only common thread that all three of them are Canadian or does this have relevance to the bigger conversation that we're having as well? I think it has some relevance to the bigger conversation. I do. I am, however, careful to separate his case from that of the two Michaels. Um, his instance, I have no idea about his guilt or innocence. He's been convicted in a Chinese court. I have no idea if that was a fair was a, a conviction based on evidence or not. This was pre the detention of Manamon. However, he has been convicted twice, I believe, uh, in Canada, including one charge which involved um, trafficking a uh, uh, narcotic. Uh, so on that basis, I hesitate to put him exactly in the same category as the two Michaels. However, I don't believe in the death penalty. 
Some Canadians do, some Canadians don't. Question how fair it is. But here's the part that does tie it to the broader case of Madame Monroe to Michaels. He had the extraordinary bad luck to appeal his 15-year sentence in November of 2018. January, uh, December 1st, you then have uh, the Madame Monroe detained. And then, of course, very quickly, his, his appeal was denied and the sentence raised from 15 years to the death penalty. Uh, that would not have occurred in my opinion. I'm confident that would not have occurred hasn't been for Madame Monk. So he's also wrapped up in this great mess. Um, I have no idea, again, whether he's guilty or innocent. Michael's on that surprise. They are innocent. In his case, he may have been guilty of drug offense. He may not have been. But you just slap on the death penalty and a reaction to something a foreign court does is hardly, it sort of underlines the differences between our system and theirs. And so that, for that reason, I have sympathy for him. And I hope that his, is he's, there's still a possibility his case could be commuted. I mean, sometimes we'll commute a death sentence on good behavior. There's something called suspended death sentence. If you behave well in prison, after a period of two years in jail, they can commute it to a life sentence. And that would be a preferable situation to what he's in right now. And then who knows, down the road, he might be eventually expelled. I don't think he's coming home anytime soon. But there's suspicious things, obvious, obviously suspicious dodgy things about his treatment as well, particularly that 15 years to death. Yeah. Gordon, before we thank you for your time, I, I just want to circle back on 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 your opinion on the role that you think the United States and, quite frankly, the president should play in this dispute between Canada and China. I, I mean, it, it essentially and I may be guilty of oversimplifying this, but it kind of feels like the Americans fault. And it kind of feels like uh, who's supposed to be our best friend, our big brother, if you want to call it that, or, or at least our neighbor isn't being a very good neighbor right now. Uh, I can understand why the Americans wouldn't want to cause any further problems with the Chinese. But is there acknowledgement that Canada wouldn't be in this pickle if it wasn't because of their request to detain Madame Meng, as you've detailed? Yeah, I come down firmly on both sides of that. I mean, on the one hand, I do believe that the Americans care about the two Michaels. They care about our protected detentions, us today, them tomorrow, that sort of thing. On the other hand, you're quite right. If it hadn't been for the American sanctions on Iran, which are not Canadian sanctions, uh, we wouldn't be here. Um, I think the Americans care about the two Michaels. I don't think they're lying awake at night in Washington worrying about the fact we've got a bad relationship with China. Hmm. Uh, they may even be quietly pleased at that. Uh, because some of the things that we were thinking of doing, free trade agreement, et cetera, would have been controversial. Uh, they didn't. They didn't particularly fancy that. I know that. I know that for a fact. I go to Washington on a regular basis. They hold the key here. Uh, I believe that this case that we're involved in with our two Michaels can be seen as a subset of the broader struggle between the United States and China. It's one part of it, and we're involved in that. The United States is our essential ally. We're not going to pull free of that. But yes. Uh, they do have responsibility for this, and uh, they've put us in a bind. Interesting to see where that goes. Uh, Dr. Gordon Holden is a professor of political science, adjunct professor at the Alberta School of Business, the U of A, an adjunct professor at the National Institute for South China Sea Studies and director emeritus of the China Institute at the University of Alberta. Real pleasure to connect. Thanks for making for us uh, understandable what I think can obviously be a very complex scenario. We appreciate your analysis. Well, thank you very much for your time and that of your listeners. You got it. 
You can follow, by the way, Dr. Holden on Twitter at Gordon Holden. And we link to that with a tweet from our account at Real Talk RJ every morning. That's Sarah Hoyle's doing a great job behind the scenes. I always like when a guest is in the bullpen in the green room, the virtual green room, so to speak. And they're taking in the interview from the guests before and going, yeah, I really enjoyed that one. It's, it's, it's kind of cool. It's, uh, you know, from expert opinion to expert opinion, it's, it's what we promise. It's what we commit uh, to bringing you every single weekday. And, and we appreciate those of you that are long for these conversations. I've, I've seen, you know, on our live chat here, for example, Tony was uh, speaking out quite strongly about the going, where are the Americans in all this? They kind of feel the same way. You wonder, it was just kind of like how that all started. Wouldn't it be amazing to get the receipts, you know, to do a freedom of information request and see the first email that probably came across that was like, hey, uh, there's there's a Huawei executive that's going to be flying into Vancouver. If you guys wouldn't mind, would you send a couple RCs over there and detain her for us? Ah, yeah. I mean, what's the deal? Well, yeah, there's some things with some income taxes and other not income taxes, but some corporate stuff. Yeah, if you could just if you could just go ahead cuffer for us just take her into custody and then we'll see and then the next thing you know you've got an international incident uh to say the very least our thanks to dr gordon holden for that now we keep reminding you about this amazing event that's coming up in edmonton and that's because i know that the team at the edmonton symphony orchestra is really excited about this and so we're doubling down on our excitement to remind you that Symphony Under the Sky is back to William Horlack Park from August 26th through September 5th. So whether you want to hear the ESO, by the way, all back together in its, I should, it's, it's its, not there, right? It is the orchestra together in its entirety. I like to get nerdy about this kind of stuff, although I might be wrong. Some real talker with a PhD in English will come at us and remind me they're together in its entirety. It's together and why don't I just move on and move along, move along. The orchestra back for the first time since March of 2020. If you're like me, you'd love to hear the ESO play the the theme from Frozen and Star Wars and Lord of the Rings and Beauty and the Beast and Jurassic Park. But then maybe you also want to hear Mozart and and Beethoven and Tchaikovsky's epic 1812 Overture. They're going to be doing it all. Tickets start at $20 and there's grass seating that is free to kids 17 and under accompanied by an adult. You can find out more information at windspearcenter.com. The ESO Symphony Under the Sky, August 26th through till September 5th. Is this a true story about our next guest? You kidding me? Does, uh, through, through an iconic career that he, that saw him start out playing the pubs and the coffee houses and the roads and the highways of Ontario and then the rest of Canada and, and then wound up with at least eight Junos, 17 albums, an induction into the Canadian Music Hall of Fame, an officer of the Order of Canada, Tom Cochran, making his Real Talk debut this morning. My man, welcome to the show, and thank you for making time for us. It's so good to see you. Ryan, it's my pleasure, buddy. It's uh, I'm just excited that, you, that uh, the Edmonton Symphony is going to be back up and running. That well, is exciting stuff. I just I just had our production team hand me a note that says that you have played with the Edmonton Symphony Orchestra, which shouldn't surprise me. Do you remember the experience? Yeah, a number of times we've, we've done uh, uh, shows with them. 
pared down as well as a full full orchestra. But one of my favorite records of all time was Conquistador by um, Procol Harum. And that was one of the first, um, you know, rock albums that was done with a full orchestra. And of course it was the Edmonton Symphony. And there were a lot of members in the symphony when we did symphony sessions back in 1986. Wow, it's a while ago, eh, Ryan? But we were one of the first Canadian groups, were the first actually to do a symphony session uh, with with the uh, Edmonton Symphony. My only regret is we didn't film it. And I remember uh, EMI Capital at the time said we should be filming this. And we had been on a long run in the States. We were exhausted and stuff. I was running a fever. So I had I had the flu at the time. Uh, ironically, we're, we're talking about that. But, um, you know, and we came in day before we did it. Uh, we did a uh, rehearsal with the incredible late, great George Blonheim. You probably knew George, mm. Ryan, just one of the greats, the great Edmonton, uh, you know, uh, People, patriots, great, incredible musician, incredible person. Did a lot of stuff for charity. Anyways, he passed away last year or a year and a half ago. Uh, loved the man, but he he put it together. He helped arrange it. He orchestrated it. And it was it's probably the most popular, the most endeared uh, Tom Cochran and Red Rider record that we ever did was the Edmonton Symphony. So those two nights were so important to me for many, many reasons and, and to us, you know, as a band um, back then. And just incredible memories. So, um, you know, another another moment in in uh, in Edmonton history for me. You know, that along with the Oilers. You know, just before they won the cup. You know, those guys all being backstage at the Jubilee and and hanging out with Cough. I still play golf with Cough uh, quite a bit. You know, maybe four times a summer. And uh, you know, talk to to Kevin a lot. And, and Daryl Cates is a good buddy. You know, he's just an incredible man. One of the, one of the great owners, I think, in my opinion, you know, I'm biased because we're good friends, but he, uh, you know, and you guys deserve another uh, championship and maybe next year <laughs> you got Zach Hyman. Now. He's going to be a good one. He's going to get a lot of points for you guys. He's going to, uh, he's going to help the cause there with a lot of heavy four checking. Yeah. They, uh, they opened up the wallet a little bit for Hyman and, and to extend, yeah. as you know, Darnell Nurse on the blue line. And now, so they've got these yeah. pieces in place. Uh, I know a lot of people excited to see how that plays out. Are you an Oilers fan or are you just, you've got a whole bunch of buddies within the organization? Yeah, I'm, I, I would say I'm an Oilers fan. You know, I'm one of these odd people that are, you know, I, I think it would be monumental for Toronto to win a cup. Yeah. Uh, so I, I kind of share my allegiance, but I, um, I am a big Oilers fan. Yeah, I mean, I got such a rich his, history with with uh, the organization. Like I said, we were there. It seemed like almost every second week in the heyday of the band of the the, the band of the team, yeah. and uh, just have some great stories. I, I played at uh, the retirement of of, of Messier's jersey, mm-hmm. uh, and so that was really important for me, and and I was really honored to do that. And just so many functions, you know, uh, we opened up the new building. Um, you know, I was involved in the Heritage game, the first big Heritage game. A great story with that one, though, with, with Gretz. Um, we were on stage, so they set up the stage for the people that weren't there because there were a lot of people there. I think they had 12,000 people in the building and at, at Rexall Place or whatever whatever they were calling it. There. I think Rexall Place. And then, um, you know, we were on stage. I did big league, and I was going to Afghanistan the next week. So I said you know, I'd like to dedicate this song. Of course, it's a hockey song about a boy and his dad. And these guys are all huge heroes to me. I said, but heroes to all of us are, 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 are men and women overseas uh, in the armed forces. And so I played the song, left the stage, went to my, my little dressing room and, and 
by myself, all of a sudden the door swings open. And you got to remember that there's 12,000 people there and, and the players are all being interviewed by Ron McLean and the door swings open and it's Gretz. And, <laughs> and Gretz goes, Tommy, need to use your latrine. He says, I got to take a, take a whiz. So he goes over <laughs> and he's taking a whiz and he's, he looks over his shoulder and goes, you know, I want to do something. Me and Guy tomorrow, we want to send a special message to the men and women over there in Afghanistan. So we're going to do a special video, me and Guy Lafleur. He'll do it in French and I'll do it. I said, that'd be great, Wayne. That's fantastic. Okay, got to run. And apparently everybody's on stage going, where the hell's Wayne got? Like, because Ron wanted to interview him at that point and, and he ducks off stage, right? Yeah. So, uh, you know, he's such a classy guy, you know, and such a classy organization. Anyways, we went over there, we, we played that tape and you had all these guys, these Rangers that were actually going out on duty uh, in their gear and that, that were going out to, to, to patrol at night and they had a couple of guys just terribly, you know, a few weeks earlier that, 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 that blew up on an IED. It was just horrible. And so, you know, it's, it, it was it was pretty heavy. And these guys, big, huge guys, strap guys, you know, and, 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 and you know, Canada's finest and, and, and the, the women as well. And their tears are streaming down their eyes when they're watching that video of, of Gretz and Guy Lafleur. So just, you know, that's how important... Uh, home is for for you know Canadians and the armed forces when they're away, and that's how much impact those guys had, you know, and 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 Gretzky and Guy Lafleur had, and, the, and the, their heroes for uh, for everybody. So it was it was really neat, you know. It was it was it was such an inspiring moment. That's an amazing uh, story behind the scenes. I, I I'm trying to think. I can think of several moving moments through my own history of consuming content, being moved by by emotional videos and sentiments. And big leagues has been the soundtrack for many of those. Did you when you wrote that song? Did you have a sense that you were onto something? Spe- that song resonates with people. Like whether it's like sports parents or anybody else from any context, people apply the spirit of those lyrics. It seems to their own lives. And it draws something out of people. Did you did you feel like you had lightning in a bottle when you wrote that one? I when I was told a story and and uh, it was in northern Ontario and it was a dad of a, it was a custodian at the rink up there and he you know, he told me the story of his son and I didn't hadn't heard the, the tense that he was speaking in so I said mm. well you bring him to the show he said he's a huge fan of was a huge fan of Boy Inside the Man I said bring him to the show. And of course he told me the story and it just hit me like a ton of bricks. And I just knew at that moment that it was a song. It was a song at that moment. And I think, uh, you know, eight months later, 10 months later, you know, uh, Kenny and I had rented a house to uh, our version of Big Pink to pre, pre-produce the, the record. It was just, just nothing but re- recording equipment. And, and I had one room upstairs that I meditated in. I had a mattress and a, in a boom box and to record ideas on and my guitar and I, I, I meditated there for about 20 minutes and I woke up and I wrote that song it's probably the only time this has ever happened in my life I wrote that song in 20 minutes so how long is the song four minutes hmm. and but it had been formulating in my head and it was such a heavy moment for me and I did know I, I, I really felt when I wrote it like this is a song that's going to impact a lot of people and prior to the humble um, the hor- horrible incident in Humboldt I had said to people, I said, you know, hockey is a sport that unifies all these small communities in particular across Canada. It's so important. You know, when you, I was flying in yesterday to Regina and you're looking at all these little communities and they're like islands out there. And then you've got, you got 
wheat fields and you've got canola fields and all this stuff. But then you have have these little, the, you know, the farms and that, and they're all apart, far apart. And hockey is such an important galvanizing force for all these communities across the prairies and all across Canada that pulls us together. And I had no idea just how right I was until that horrible incident in, in Humble and how not just Canada, but the world empathize with those kids and w- with the people that died and, and their coaches and that. And it, it just was such a heavy thing. So I dedicated it to anytime I'm here and in a lot of places, I, I keep, I've kept the, the changed third verse um, in honor of those, those, the people that died in Humboldt. And I always dedicate it to them, especially in, obviously in Saskatoon and, and uh, tonight in Regina, I'll be doing that again. And I'll do it in, in, um, in uh, in Edmonton as well because you know there was a number of boys from there. Uh, yeah, there sure were. Jackson, uh, Jackson, of course, and uh, you know I I always remember them when I play the song. So uh, yeah, I I, I kind of look look at that song as a trust. You know that one, and then Lunatic Fringe in a different way is kind of you know I, I want people to listen. I want them you know uh, I want the the song to um, to resonate with them and and so i kind of look at it as a trust that we got to play those, those songs we got to be on our game when we play those songs and, and and really deliver them because they're important to people you know a lot of people grew up with those songs i was uh we we partner with saint albert dodge and uh one of the principals there is is alan whack uh uh, they lost their son Stephen in that crash, and and uh, Stephen's Broncos jersey is up in the dealership. And you know, I was uh, just walking up the stairs, and I saw it. And you just you stop in your tracks, and you sit, and you think. And I think that there was something about that, like you said. I mean, the the, the Kickstarter was one bit of evidence of of how that story resonated with people around the world. And I think for obvious reasons too, right? You have parents. You could even as as a veteran of the music industry, Tom. Like, there's I would imagine there's parents that have seen their kids touring or or moving off to attend a Royal Conservatory school or whatever the case may be. Parents can relate. Uh, to the kid chasing a dream and making the sacrifices that go along with it. And a lot of times that involves getting on buses, getting on planes. And I think it's just something that resonates with so many people. Remarkable how your music uh, could bring Canadians uh, together in that way. What an experience. I should mention you're going to be. Uh, yeah, I, mean, I mean, Ryan, and I'm glad you mentioned the bus thing because it is it's it's pivotal. It's kind of a cultural uh, entity really in Canada. I mean, we, we just have to cover so much territory. So life's a highway is a metaphor that, you know, I knew that would be a hit of some kind because it's, it's, you know, that's what Canada's about. I mean, we, we, we join so many communities with highways and that, and the buses are, are a very important part of that. So yeah, it does in all over the world in the States as well. So it re- does resonate for people. So it's good you brought that up. There's no point to me telling you this, but I, I used to serve and bartend at Earl's Willow Park, uh, a <laughs> restaurant in South Calgary. I don't know if you would have known this, Tom. I'd be I just had dinner at Earl's last night. Yeah, well, the they they've since this was because because I'm I'm uh, you know I'm, I'm not as young as I look, Tom. Uh, so this was, this was years ago, but but they did a You're big me, <laughs> they did a big they did a big renovation over the bar and they brought in this this massive piece of ironwork. It was probably honestly sixty feet by thirty feet, and it hung over the bar like a wave. Uh, it was a really dramatic piece of of uh, welding artistry, and carved into it was "Life is a Highway." And so I, I, I bartended under your lyrics 
for several years. That that song, it's bananas how it's connected. I know you're probably sick of talking about it, Tom. I hope you don't roll your eyes, but we were just having no, some I- we're having some fun with our audience. We've asked our audience to let us know what they th- what's their favorite uh, Tom Cochran song of all time. W- would you have a guess maybe on on who, what song you think might be getting the top vote? Big league for me, uh, but but the Neruda album as 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 a is a is an album, uh, but obviously life's a highway. I mean, you know, I think Mick Jagger was asked once, like, man, you got to be tired of playing Satisfaction. He says, yeah, I'm really tired of looking out there and seeing tens of thousands of people lose their mind and go crazy and making, <laughs> making people laugh and sing and dance to that song. And I feel the same way. How can you not? love a song that brings that much joy into people's lives, especially being the miserable SOB that I can be <laughs> a lot of times. You know, it's pretty, pretty amazing that I, I wrote one of the happier songs, happier hits ever written. And, and yeah. but uh, I, I feel really privileged to have written that song. And every time we play it, we have, we have a gas. It's just so, you know, I'm a real believer in that energy that we exchange as, as human beings, you know, um, uh, and, and you just, I get so much energy that radiates from the audience and the people that are listening to that song every time we, we play it. And it's just, uh, how can you get tired of that? You know yeah, what I mean? I mean, if I sat in a room and played it right now, I'd be bored as shit. <laughs> yeah. I might think it's like I sit at home singing that song to myself. If I see you by dog, yourself but... at an airport departure lounge, pick, picking away on a banjo. Uh, yeah. That, that we might have some questions to answer yeah. uh, Tom, to shed some light on it at this point, early in the Twitter poll, uh, 66%, two out of three respondents are, choosing life as a highway but we've, we've left opportunity yeah. mad mad world no regrets and then the write-in as well uh good times from victory day getting boys boy inside the man the untouchable one big league people are loving of course um and then a lot of people are talking about the album you did with edmonton symphony which is which is amazing how did you we were just talking before we welcomed you to the show about how the eso is now, now i got a good tip on the set list the songs i got there you go yeah by the way august 14th uh, Tom Cochran in Edmonton at the Edmonton Exhibition Lands playing with Glass Tiger at Rockfest. That's coming up yeah, in like, two days. Have you, do you go ba- way back with those guys, Glass Tiger? Yeah. Yeah, Alan Fruit. You know, Alan's such a great guy. And, of course, he's gone through his own struggles and, and came through it. Uh, uh, you know, a strong man, a, a, a man of, of, of very strong opinion. Uh, but they toured with us. They had a, a big hit in the States that had gone gold in the States and, and was, was just killing it in Canada and went out and opened for us, you know, and, and uh, uh, it was such a fun tour. And that, that's when we became buddies. And so I talked to Alan quite a bit, um, not as much as I should, but, you know, every few months. And so it's always great to catch up with, with him and Sam and the rest of the guys. And um, so it's, it's, it's fun that they're, uh, they're, they're going to be there as well. We uh, we were having some fun earlier today. We opened the show uh, talking about the Mount Rushmore of Canadian rock and speculating that if we had to narrow it down to four, uh, that your name would be in the mix to be on the Mount Rushmore of Canadian rock musicians. So I want to put you in a tough position and you may have to vote for yourself, Tom. This may come. But if you were to name the Mount Rushmore of Canadian rock musicians, we're talking history. Mm-hmm. Whose four busts would be carved into? I mean, the eastern slopes of the Rockies, Rockies are kind of up for grabs right now. So, if no coal mining, we'll go with the, we'll go with the we'll go with the Mount Rushmore of Canadian rockers. Who's your top four? Well, that's that's pretty easy. I mean, that's like you know, Gordy, Gordy Lightfoot would be up there. Um, I, I'd have to put uh, yeah, Lightfoot, uh, Neil, Joni, 
uh, Joni Mitchell, mm -hmm. uh, Leonard Cohen. That's a stretch because a lot of people don't consider him rock, but his mm -hmm. stuff's been interpreted that way. And, you know, I, I've got to, it's funny. I, okay, I got to say something that's maybe a bit controversial, but probably not. But, you know, when I started out, the hip were kids, right? And it's hard sometimes to, to respect kids that are starting out. They're getting all this attention and that. But there was pretty relevant reasons for it when you look at the body of work and ahead by a century and that. So I'd, I'd like to put the whole bunch of those guys up there. Um, but I'll say Gord Downey should go up there. And, and uh, uh, boy, I tell you, the band again, too. So I put Robbie up there. Uh, yeah. Robbie Robertson. You know, he inducted me, did a nice little speech and when, when I got the Hall of Fame. And that was nice. And he's a huge hero of mine. When, when I started out, we used to dress like the band, walk like the band at high school, do all their songs and got very few jobs. <laughs> got very few gigs because people wanted to hear, hear Led Zeppelin and we were playing band songs and, and birds and stuff. So Okay, well, we'll give you a pass. You've named five. You got the two Gordies, and, and Neil and Joni. Although a lot of people have suggested that Joni Mitchell might belong on like a separate list where we could do like folk roots kind well, of a thing. So, so with Leonard, right? Leonard Cohen. Yeah. Leonard Cohen and Joni, let's, let's face it. They probably have... Along with Neil, I mean, they have such a far-reaching yeah. uh, level of influence in in so many genres of music. Like Joni really touches on jazz, and uh, you're right. I mean, I, probably Blue is one of the greatest records of all time mm. in that folk, folk music genre. And Leonard, of course, uh, what can you say about Leonard? I mean, Leonard influenced Joni as well. So, uh, you know, that we, I think the, the, the important thing though, Ryan, is that we do have a rich history and, and that, that influences the whole world. And, uh, you know, some people want to put Adams up there too. And I have a bit of a sordid history with Brian, but, but no, not really. People like to make a big deal of that, but you know, Brian has, has done a lot for Canadian identity internationally for sure. You know, with, with his incredible body. Of I think Brian so, Adams should quit. Great music. I think, I think he should quit Twitter. Whenever I see him tweet, I go, eh, not a good look. Not a good yeah. one. <laughs> Brian, um, Brian, he seems to be able for a guy that should be a good diplomat because he's he's had so much uh, success. He tends to put his foot in his mouth. I, I always kind of my whole thing, especially if I had, I've had two glasses of red or whatever. You know, I always say, okay, let's put this away till the morning. Do not do not tweet that yet. How do you not have a line of wine yet, Red Rider? Have you, you know, I was, the commercial element to this is just waiting for you. Yeah, I, I was talking to. We've, I've talked about it with a couple of people, but we, we just haven't pulled the trigger. And it, it is, that is my chosen drink. You know, I like to pretend that it's really good for me, even at three or four glasses. But, but um, yeah, I mean, we've talked about it. I was talking to it about, about it with Jillian, who who lives with Patrick Downey, and, and they've got a line of uh, wine out, as well as beer, which you can only buy here. The Tragically Hip Beer. Very cool. I just I just got, got my hands on a four pack of it. Yeah, yeah. I, I I had to I had to work a trade out, but I got my and now yeah. I'm deciding yeah. who well, gets Jake to drink Gold, it. Jake Gold's going to love me because I'm now I'm promoting their beer. Yeah, that's so, right. Um, I will mention yeah. in the context of of the Mount Rushmore of Canadian rockers, our guest here live on Real Talk, Tom Cochran, uh, remains one of only three male Canadian singer-songwriters to have a diamond-certified album in Canada that's over a million copies sold. Mad, Mad World is now, it's estimated sold around, uh, at last count, 1.7 million copies in Canada, at least 3 million copies worldwide. Hey, look at that hair, man. That hair is spectacular. <laughs> like, what I gotta you get the hair, the blow dryer out. Oh, man. 
That's like that's the kind of hair. No offense, man, but guys with thinning hair hate you just based on that photo. Uh, Tom, why is that thinning? Yeah, I just took no. A shower. Uh, yeah, we could no, we can tell you've still got the lettuce, my man. How <laughs> the, the music industry's changed a whole lot, uh, obviously over forty years with regards to how record deals are structured, the importance of tours, how bands are, are gleaning revenue right now, live streaming, that kind of a thing, and then the, the pandemic interruption. You know, my buddy J.J. Shiplett getting ready, ready to release his album right as the pandemic hits. And it's had a devastating yeah. impact on so many musicians. How, how, how have you managed kind of the evolution and some of those challenges and changes in the industry? That's that's clever because you're kind of avoiding the elephant in the room, which a lot of people in the West do, because I think Westerners have that attitude that, look, OK, it's a virus. We're dealing with it, but let's live you know, hmm. and, and we'll, we'll, we'll do the necessary things. But so I just want to touch on that for a second before we, we touch on the, 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 the uh, bigger part of that question, dealing with a lot of those changes, uh, you know, uh, well, I'll, I'll tackle that first. So Alex Lifeson and I, you know, we spend a lot of time together as well. We, we go on a couple of golf vacations together and that, and um, you know, love the guy dearly. One of the greats. And by the way, there's there's another one. Can we backtrack because Rush should be up there? And and again, I can't leave, I can't say one of them without saying the three of them. I well, should have said Rush. I don't thing. know I, why did, why didn't I do that? Well, Alex, because because it's too tough of a call, right? People want Neil Peart, they want Getty Lee. We were having this conversation four. earlier. Yeah. Okay, so yeah, what was I thinking? They should be up there as well. So, um, anyways, this is a tough tough question because a couple of times out here, I've gotten into elevators and then, you know, and I got. The elevator's fairly crowded, and I'm talking about Saskatoon and Regina, and we got stuff in the elevator, so it's crowded anyways. And then the door will open, and people don't have masks on and stuff. And and I respect people's opinions about masks and the anti-maskers and that, although I think they're wrong. And I got some dear friends, as I'm sure you do, Ryan, that don't believe in them. Oh no, they they don't work. They're like it's, it's like putting up a chain link, link fence and trying to thinking you're going to keep mosquitoes out. Well, it's not true. I mean, doctors have been wearing them for years in operation. So there's a reason they work. They, they, there's no doubt of it, especially the KN95 ones. But a lot of people out here have jettisoned that. And okay, I respect that. That's good. But I suppose, you know, because you've got the experts here saying, okay, we're, we're at a position now where we can move into another phase. But I have very strong feelings about the vaccine. Do I think people should be mandated to take the vaccine? No, I don't. I think it still should be personal choice, but I very strongly believe in them. So I, I have a right to endorse it. And when I do, it, <laughs> there's a bit of a firestorm. But that's my opinion. I think vaccines work. I think if we're going to, I think it may be too late because of this Delta thing that's coming along and other variants to achieve herd immunity, but they work. I mean, they obviously, you know, there's 97% of the people in hospitals in the States that, that aren't vaccinated. So come on, it, it, they just work. And we know masks work as well. So the, the vast majority of experts think they work. I can't control 100% what, what people are going to do, nor do I want to, you know, we believe in freedom and we believe in, in, in freedom of choice. But with my guys, we've all agreed and the band feels comfortable. We're coming from the East, we're traveling, we're in airports, we're, we're in areas of exposure and that. I just want my fans to know and people that are coming to the show that we as a band have a special obligation to try to keep our fans and the people that come in contact with us, because we're traveling uh, safe. 
so we, we kind of mandate the mask for us and for our crew and uh, for the people that are around us, like kind of working with us that, that are helping us with equipment and, and uh, catering and all that. So, so we're very conscious of that and we are all vaccinated and that. So we're very conscious of that. And I want our fans to know that, that it's not a matter of us. And like I said, getting back to the elevator, the elevator will open and, and there'll be a family there and none of them have masks on and they want to get in the elevator. I said, Hey, you guys, you know, would you mind taking the, another elevator? And they look at you like, you're a snob, you know, you're like you're, you're, you're dissing them. And, and we're, we're not, it's more for their protection than, than for mine, because, you know, I don't want to expose anybody unnecessarily. So we're very cautious about that stuff. So I want people to know that I, I get it. Everybody's tired of this. We want to get on and, and live as much as we can and talk about COVID as little as we can. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm on that bandwagon, believe me, but just so people know that we are handling we're, we're handling it our ways to make sure people are safe that, that we come in contact with. Now, with that said, because we, people can be carriers. Now we know that people can be vaccinated, not show symptoms, be carriers and be spreaders. So we get, we got to be careful for our fans. Uh, beyond that, like Alex Lifeson. So we spent a lot of time together and, and Alex said to me uh, one day, he said, you know, Tom, we lived through the golden years. You know, we, uh, we're really lucky. We lived through the, that period when recording and releasing music, was seminal in, in, you know, to, to um, our careers and to impacting people um, to being able to tour, which incidentally, we, we, we're not painters, we're performing artists. So uh, the, the whole interaction and, and the so, whole symbiotic nature of, of performing and writing is all tied in. So I haven't been quite as productive, I've been productive, but I haven't been quite as productive as I wanted to be over this COVID period because I really get inspiration from performing and it's important and, and it kind of comes feeds back into my writing process but i think with that said you know um i feel so bad as you were saying for the young artists that we're trying to release stuff that we're trying to get careers on the on the go that we're, we're trying to get off the ground because it's really tough for them to begin with they don't have a model now of course the model was a bit corrupt in the day the whole uh, recording industry thing, you know, they would select one band or one artist and whatever they throw mud against the wall and whatever stuck a little bit. That's what they work on. And they push everything aside and a lot of good music got missed. Right. We all know that, but at least there was a model. There was something tangible to work with and an organization that was helping you with uh, promotion people and getting on the road and, 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 and tour support and getting out there and visiting stations and talking to people and that. And, now artists are left to their own devices. You know, a few years ago with, with uh, Kevin Drew from a Broken Social Scene, he goes, wow, you got guys that actually come out here and plug your stuff in? <laughs> you know, I mean, a lot of these kids are doing everything on their own. Though, Yes, because of social media, they can book their own gigs and we couldn't do a lot of that. They can book a lot of their gigs in Europe and all that and bands are doing that. But guess what they do? They go over there and they network and they sleep on people's couches. They sleep on people's floors. There's not the tour support where they can stay in hotels and all that stuff. So it's, um, it's tough already. And then COVID is just, it just really decimated it. And so, you know, Ryan, I think you're the kind of guy that is, is trying to support your artists, the young artists that you know in, in Alberta and that, that are putting records out. And, and that's, that's all you can do because it's, it's, there is no model again. They have to do all their, their work on social media, networking on social media, getting their, their work out, trying to get their work 
uh, streamed, which still is a pittance, you know, uh, uh, but although a lot of the streaming people like, like Spotify are, are doing a better job at getting re, uh, residuals to artists, but it's tough, man. Yeah. It is really tough. And, uh, you know, Al and I, we're in a different kind of sphere. We understand it, but, you know, people really want to, you know, it's not critical for me to get new music out there to know where, where Tom Coggins at. I'm, I'm very proud of the last record, but let's face it. It's not like, um, if people don't hear those songs when we play on Saturday night, they're going to be a vast number of them are going to be terribly disappointed. Uh, even though I love pink time and I'll, I'll kind of get that into the, into the mix from time to time. And, and the ones that I've known with the Terry Fox verse, of course, I uh, try to get those songs in, but it's, it, you know, I, I get it. You know, people really want to hear bad man world. They, they want to hear those songs, Neruda. They want to hear victory day. They want to hear big league. And we all have so much time. I mean, I could, we could play for three hours and we have done that over the last few years, some of those shows. And, um, but it's, Tom, you know, when I that happens, that. like, are you, are you, are, when that happens, let's say an audience is just with you and mm-hmm. something's happening, there's something special and you're picking up on it. Are, are you the type of front man? Are you the type of performer that, that will say, listen, we were going to play for an hour and a half. We're going to play for two and a half. I've heard that Springsteen does this sometimes that it's not always expected. Are you the same way? Yes, to a certain degree, but 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 not as not with as broad a, a brush as Springsteen. I mean, he is uh, he's the man, and he's you know we did I'm, did the shows show with him back in uh, Moncton, uh, you know, and I remember they asked me on stage for, for the encore, you know. Of course, that was a huge honor. He's he's got this little porthole on stage that he. Uh, he's such a music fan and he, and he knows his stuff so much and he's so excited, you know, like he's just like a big kid. And apparently he's going, come on, you guys to his band. You know, this is, this is a guy that wrote lunatic French. We got come check this out. And he's got this little porthole that he peeks out from to check out the audience before he goes on, if he's got opening or whatever. And uh, he played, how can you take a three, three chord song, which again is a big honor because one of the first songs he ever learned was twist and shout. And the Isley Brothers twist show, of course, the Beatles made it famous. And and we, we did, a, like, I think a 17-minute version of Twist and Shout. He just wouldn't stop. And it was, and the crowd was building. Like, you couldn't think the crowd could get any more jacked up than they were. But they, just the energy was just phenomenal. And, and he just wouldn't, he wouldn't go off, you know. It was the, a James Brown routine that he would pull and and uh, I was honored because the road, road manager told me to go on, you know, at this point in the song, once you get to the, this particular verse, go on the mic, sing one with them or sing one on your own and that. And we're singing on a mic together and that. And I, I just we got off stage. He's soaked. And it's cold. There's a bit of a wind blowing back. There's you can get in the Maritimes in the evening. And he's just laughing like Santa Claus. And he's hugging me. And he's just, <laughs> that was great, man. Wow. And he's like a 15 year old playing in a garage. Like he, he, he captures that same energy that we all like to capture because of being 15 year olds playing to our friends in a garage when you start out. Cause that's, that's what rock and roll is all about. Is that is the essence of that. And, and, and you feel timeless when you're up there. And, and I just said, Bruce, you better get to your dressing room because you're going to catch pneumonia. And he pats me on the shoulder. He goes off. 
thanks, man. Thank like he was surprised. Like I was being considerate, but he's just such a gentleman and just so, like, he would have stood there and talked to me for hours, you know, and uh, went back and said a quick hello in his dressing room to everybody. I know Nils Lofgren, incredible uh, musician in his own right. He actually, people don't know Nils in the band. He's the other guitar player with Van Zandt and, uh, he actually played piano on uh, after the gold rush on Neil Young's album. So he's a bit like Al Cooper. He kind of wandered in, Oh, I can play piano and he played piano on that record. But Nils is a great musician too. Wonderful musicians in that band and done stuff with uh, Jake, with Clarence's uh, kid. And again, great musician in that. So I know I put, you know, and, and it's funny you brought up the Mount Rushmore because I've often used that analogy. And I say, if, if there was a Mount Rushmore rock Springsteen, it'd be, He'd be the most prominent one for me. You know, mm. he kind of brings together James Brown and, and Bob Dylan in one package, you know. The Mount Rush, I mean, we, we gave you the Mount Rushmore of Canadian rock. The Mount Rushmore of rock yeah, is, well, uh, I don't even know. And you still got Neil up there as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. But, uh, so you got uh, Neil Young, Bruce Springsteen. Do, do you, does Mick uh, Jagger go on? Does El- yeah, Elvis yeah, doesn't absolutely. count? Does Elvis yeah, count? Like, like, but how do you put Mick up there and not and not Keith? And not Keith? And like, is Elvis on there? Yeah, I, I I'd say if it's rock, I mean, you know, you got Probably. and then you got to have the Beatles up there, right? Yeah, and then you got to have although a lot of people turn roll their eyes, they're not rock, Tom. Come on, bet they were rock. Beatles. You're gonna have to. We're gonna have to get the Rushmore's got to add eight more presidents <laughs> so that we can just expand yeah, yeah, these conversations. Buddy, Holly, Buddy Holly's got to be up there, right? Sure, Little Richard. Tom, you you talk about uh, how you felt like you could talk to Bruce Springsteen for hours. I feel like I could talk to you for hours, and I know our audience is along for this. I want to just thank you for your time and your availability. I do want to ask you about one thing in closing. Uh, we'll remind people that you're going to be playing here in Alberta's capital city along with Glass Tiger at Rockfest. That's coming up in a couple of days, uh, August 14th at uh, Edmonton Exhibition Lands. You can learn more at TomCochranMusic.com. Um, I didn't know this, that when you were a kid that you had aspirations or at least you were interested in the idea of becoming a journalist. And we've been right. having some really interesting conversations just even yesterday about conflicts of interest and bias and, and, and the public trust in journalism or the difference between a, a reporter, you know, a journalist, so to speak, and, a, and an opinion columnist or someone like me, a pundit, uh, you know, that, that'll that'll provide opinion based commentary. Do you still, I mean, are you still fascinated by the profession? I mean, you yourself are a professional storyteller, of course, in one vein. Um, your assessment of, of journalism today and the relationship with the public, I'd be curious to pick your brain. Yeah, I, I, I take this very seriously, uh, and therefore it's an important subject for me. I really looked up at people like um, Edward R. Murrow and, and uh, Peter Jennings, uh, later, great Canadian journalist and and a lot of the uh, journalists um, Dan Rathers and people that went into really tough places which I've done with N NGOs but these guys have been on the front lines of you know the embedded stuff as we learn to know it later very very important work I, I, I've said before all this fake news stuff started to become prominent that I don't care like like the the fundamental pillar of democracy is is, is journalism. And I really believe in my heart that there are dedicated people that uh, like, like Woodward and Bernstein and a lot of these people, Canada has a rich history of, of, of wonderful correspondents that put themselves on the line all the time to try to get people the truth. And 
I don't care if I take flack on it. You know, the Washington Post is an, is an important uh, uh, newspaper, and so is the New York Times, the Globe. We, we have, Canada has a tremendously rich history of it, and it's important that people have that trust. The whole social media thing and, and people being able to blog ad hoc and all these nonsensical, uh, all this stuff that people are putting out there that people take in and turn into conspiracy theories. I'll tell you, there's one big conspiracy theory. There's a lot of people out there and there's a lot of countries out there that want this. They want to promote this because they want to undermine democracy. So we, we've got to start to pull together a little bit more as, as, as people to understand each other, to talk to each other with, with, with polite discourse. My dad always said to me, Tom, and I think this is a, a kind of a cool Canadian trait um, that, you know, you may not agree with the other guy, but listen to him. Hmm. Give him his five minutes, listen to him, and give him that respect of listening to his opinion. And we're not doing that now, you know, especially in, in the States. They just draw the line and everything's politicized. But I do believe that great journalism, and I think there's dedicated people out there that want to bring people the truth. And if it's not the truth you want to hear, then the right wing says, oh, it's, it's, it's left wing propaganda. And, you know, it's we've we've we got to kind of take a deep breath and realize we're at a really dangerous point in history where democracy could fall by the wayside very easily, Ryan. And so voices like yourself are very important. It's important that you, uh, you know, you've got a, a a venue for it. You you you've got a voice, and you're you're allowing people to come on and have their opinion. Um, and so it's it's important to do this, and it's important to have this kind of discourse. Um, in order for us to survive as, as, as a democracy. And that's really important to me. Freedom is really important. You know, so I'll dedicate Lunatic Fringe to the spirit of freedom. There's some misinformation right there that, that you know, talk about fake news has been happening for a long time. You know, the whole revisionist historian people with the Holocaust, it's, it's, it's disgraceful. I mean, the evidence is there and people that want to deny evidence and lean towards you know, conspiracy theories and, and all that, that stuff. I mean, you know, it's, these are, these are dangerous times and, and uh, we've got to, we got to let the other guy have his opinion. We got to listen to each other and we've got to try to kind of take a deep breath and not let anger take control. Right. Love it. Wise words from a wise man, uh, one of Canada's all-time greats. Tom Cochran will be in Edmonton at the Edmonton Exhibition Lands coming up Saturday, August 14th, along with Glass Tiger at Rockfest. You can learn more at TomCochranMusic.com. It's been a huge pleasure on behalf of our audience that's been taking this in live. Tom and the thousands that will download this and listen to this later. Thanks so much thanks, for your brother. time. You know what? Best interview I've done in a couple of years. That includes prior to COVID. Really enjoyed that. Thanks, Ryan. That means a lot to me. Thanks. Tom Cochran, one of the all-time greats, an officer of the Order of Canada, and for good reason. Didn't even mention, by the way, you should mention also a former honorary Air Force colonel uh, in the 409 Squadron. He's got an honorary doctorate, right? A Diamond Jubilee Award. I mean, a ton of songwriter. He's got the thing where if you're going to, a guy like this, you know, Sam behind the scenes doing a great job on the technical. So if I'm introducing him, if, if you bring Tom Cochran up into the frame as I'm reading the intro, you got to cut it by like 80%. Because if you're going to just keep reading down the list, tick, 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 it's he's going to get uncomfortable. I, I really appreciate his assessment. I didn't think I was going to get into talking about masks and vaccines with Tom Cochran. We did spare him on purpose. 
the question around the federal election. We've, we've just realized here now live as we've been on that the prime minister plans to visit Rideau Hall on Sunday, this coming Sunday, which, which means uh, Sunday means that my 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 buddy was off by a week on his prediction. <laughs> Convinced it was going to be August 8th, but it'll be the 15th. The prime minister will ask that parliament be dissolved, triggering an election. The campaign expected to run for 36 days, which means that Canadians can expect a federal election on September 20th. I'm still of the thought I like that unless people volunteer that information, quite frankly, I like I, I like keeping that a mystery with people, how people are going to vote. And I also think it's kind of unfair to ask people how they're going to vote or their thoughts on an election. But I suspect actually Tom, our buddy Tom, might not have had a problem with it because he took that he took that covid question head on. He goes, let me tell you, let me tell you why this is our policy. Let me tell you why. There's going to be a story from someone probably that says I ran into Tom Cochran in an elevator. And not only would he not sign an autograph, he asked me to take a different elevator. I've always wondered what it's be, what it's like to be, you know, your guy like Tom Cochran or Wayne Gretzky or these other people that he mentions, Peter Jennings. May he rest in peace. And, you know, you, 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 you can't like you're walking down any street in Canada. People are going to know who you are. Like if you're Tom Cochran, everywhere you go, you go to Friesen Brothers grocery store, you're in the bakery. They know that that's Tom Cochran in the freaking bakery. And every interaction that somebody has with you is their interaction with Tom Cochran. So there comes to be a lot of responsibility with that. So he knows exactly when he starts talking about vaccines and the science behind masks and all that kind of stuff. He knows what he's doing. Right. And you wonder, like, if someone's mind right now that's going to hear this interview on Real Talk I bet you Tom Cochran is going to influence some people to go get vaccinated. I bet you that that's the case. I mean, he's a guy that we were reading comments. I mean, we could have sat here and read comments from real talkers for the entire interview. Like Hope Springs right now, one of my favorite handles of any of our audience members says you have such an important voice, Mr. Cochran. Many people listen to you. Says now I wonder if some may try to cancel him because he's so honest. Tom Cochran doesn't give a flying fuck if you try to cancel him for him you being honest. You can't cancel. You can't Tom cancel Cochran. Tom Cochran. That's what I would love to be at a point. I mean, maybe we are here in our own small, tiny little microcosm. I'm not drawing any comparisons, obviously, but I'm just saying when you get to a point where you're like, I'm going to say what I think, whether you like it or not, this is my truth, and I'm going to share it. That is a powerful place to be Mm -hmm. can we change tune and do something fun here every thursday we have a tradition here on the show every single thursday and of course you know that this is courtesy of our friends at prairie catering we take a look at the headlines we keep our eye on news events happening around the globe and every single thursday we give someone an opportunity to Eat your words. Presented by Prairie Catering. And in today's story, we head down to the United States of America. This is actually kind of a a feel-good story, as a matter of fact. This is cool. We want to take you to the beautiful Union Bluff in York, Maine. I mean, this is a destination restaurant, as you can see. Just an absolutely beautiful facility And they've had their struggles through COVID just like anybody else. But there was a server there at Union Bluff that was having a a bit of a tough go. The staff 
encountered a customer that, well, walked in and, and, and allegedly cursed at the employees. They weren't getting the service they thought they deserved. It wasn't happening fast enough. And so they blew a gasket, so to speak. Well, cut to a few days later. And this letter arrives at Union Bluff, the Union Bluff Hotel. Hi, can you please give this $100 bill, along with my apology, to the girl who was the hostess, taking names to be seated for dinner on Monday, July 5th at around 5 p.m.? I was very rude to her, which is out of character for me. I have way more respect for people than I showed that day. Pre-dinner cocktails may have contributed, but are no excuse. When our large party was having difficulty being seated, the wait was longer than I thought. I said loudly, this is bullshit, and I left, and I feel bad. This is coming from a guy who tells people to be kind to service staff and to tip big. How hypocritical of me. I will apologize to her the next time I am in York, Maine. I've been going to York every year for the 4th of July with my family for over 25 years. You never want to be that guy, and that day I was that guy. And I'm sincerely sorry. Signed off, an embarrassed customer. Hey, as far as I'm concerned, that is a stand-up thing to do. In the moment, we've all had our unfortunate circumstances roll out. I know better than anybody. But when you circle back and make things right, every once in a while, you deserve a stick tap, as they say, when you step up and eat your words presented by prairie catering a shout out to the anonymous customer who made things right a reminder that prairie catering offers corporate catering for office meetings in person or virtual they deliver of course you can host business meetings and conferences at the beautiful art gallery of alberta from executive boardrooms to their state of the art theater they can host up to 300 people safely and you'll get 20 percent off any rental space at the art gallery of alberta for your next corporate function if you mention Eat your words on Real Talk, valid only for 2021 rental dates. I wanted to find a positive story for Eat Your Words this week because there were a whole lot of examples that we could have used where we would just pile on people and tell them to eat their words. But I liked that one. Somebody who, in retrospect, went back and said I was a hypocrite. The way that I talk about how you should treat service staff, the way that I talk about how you should tip, especially coming out of a pandemic, and I am sincerely sorry. And not sincerely sorry if I offended anybody. Sincerely sorry. It's not that I didn't write, uh, we missed the mark. I missed the mark. (laughs) Many people feel that we missed the mark. (laughs) And in case we offended anybody, we are sincerely sorry. No, that letter was a real apology. That was a real apology. No excuses. Just, hey, I messed up. I'm sorry. Terry says, good for him. Scott says, I don't eat my words. I eat my feelings. <laughs> you and me both, buddy. Now, I've just looked at the time. Uh, this, this show has started kind of funny. Uh, we, we, we had some kind of stuff going on behind the scenes that hopefully nobody really noticed. This team, I'm so proud of how this team operates in the face of adversity and challenge. It gave us so much fun to screw around and have a bunch of fun and talk about silly things. And then back to back to back to back. Fantastic guests. This is the type of show. If you enjoyed what you heard, if you enjoyed what you saw, we'd love for you to share it. We'd love for you to smash the like button to subscribe to us and to keep the buzz going as we continue to grow real talk.
talk. We'll wrap with a reminder that these shows don't happen without the support of our amazing sponsors. Please support them whenever you can. That includes the team at Park Power at parkpower.ca. They've been giving us these these notes on frugality, which is a great reminder that sometimes having these fixed rates can really benefit you in high power usage type scenarios, heat waves, air conditioning units. You know what I'm talking about. Expensive power bills present a great opportunity to take a look at how you're structured with your service provider. Protect yourself from price volatility by switching to a fixed rate offering. Park Power with flexible fixed rates on one and three year terms. You're never locked in though. You can cancel anytime. 2021-RealTalk is the promo code that gets you 70% off your first bill. A shout out to the team at Westworld Computers for powering this studio and powering this show. We use virtually everything in the lineup from the iPhone to the iMac to the iPad to the MacBook Pro. I'm just missing the Apple Watch, but that's okay because I don't have to stare at the step counter all the time. I feel like I'm left off the hook there. No matter what you're looking for, they've got it for you, including service techs that have seen it all over the 40 years they've been in operation. Westworld.ca. The team at Kubi Energy will present positive reflections the first Monday. We're back after our week off next week. You can submit your good news stories, your random acts of kindness to talk at RyanJesperson.com. Kubi Energy right now with details available for agricultural producers in the province of Alberta. There's a new benefit that could help you go sustainable, even net zero. For some of your operations, visit kubienergy.ca for more on that. And finally, a big shout out to our friends at Eden Landscaping. We're getting into the dog days of summer. We're on the back nine, as we all know. I, I mean, I hate to point it out, but it's true. It means that through the winter months, their team is going to be preparing to to design and really map out how people's dreams will become reality when it comes to their outdoor spaces. It's a year-round endeavor. That's how the customer relationship works with the team that takes it from concept all the way through to completion. You can find Eden Landscaping at landscapeedmonton.ca. Coming up tomorrow, I can't even believe it's Friday already, but we've got a whole lot on the go. There are many stories that our team is keeping an eye on. We've not yet talked about we'll wrap up the week with a bow with the real talk roundtable you won't want to miss plus more details on things happening across canada analysis of that federal election call and more we'll talk to you tomorrow morning in the meantime make it a great thursday They're gonna win.